I don't want to turn it into sci-fi. Like Gabriel is like, you know, all coming to Mary and then the pilot's like, sir, there's a problem, the carburetor. And you know, right, I don't want to reduce it to that, but I don't want to go with the Gnostic magical spiritualization that the world of angels is the work of mag the world of magic instead of one that operates within the laws of God's creation because they are finite beings like we are. These angels, they appear differently to my mind now than the magical creatures. They were beings who knew more about the laws of creation than we did. We were now catching up. If we could break the atom in two and decipher DNA, was because this is the stuff of the sons of God. All right, welcome back to Blurry Creatures. Today we got a long one, so we're going to make this pretty quick. You know, every once in a while we, we find some of these trailblazers, these guys that learn from Chuck Missler, and they they see it. They see the Blurryverse early on. Uh, what a lot of people have come to see over the years via our podcast, because we've gotten a lot of emails, and, you know, Heiser ins inspired our guest today as Heiser inspired our podcast. And Ali Siadatin did a documentary in 2006 called UFOs, Angels, and Gods. And really, this should be like three-parter because he was it was so packed full of information. But it's kind of cool to find these like pioneers in this space. And we all kind of came to the sim similar conclusions. Ali's way smarter than we are, but he did a lot of research and he kind of sort of uncovered what a lot of people just, I, I don't know what happens. They just jump over it. They dismiss it. They don't want to look at it. They don't understand that kind of what we've been hammering home over the last couple of years with Tim is the physicality of other realms you know what i mean that's that's a lot of yeah. of where we go in this episode it's a really good one really fascinating i'm excited yeah, and, about it. and it's just it's really been it's really an honor to have ali on because I mean, this guy it, it's one of the classic stories native of someone having an encounter and then it completely changing their their paradigm to the point where this is it becomes the thing that they are trying to figure out, and unlike you know, not unlike what people have when when they encounter creatures, right, or a UFO. If you've watched Encounters on Netflix, some of the people that have these UFO encounters, they spend the rest of their life trying to figure it out. Yeah, yeah. And to Ollie's credit, I mean, he figured things out before, you know, before a lot of folks really, really did. And and he connects some really good dots here. It's, He's a meticulous researcher. He was doing research before the internet had answers. He was doing it by books. Before YouTube was even up. Before YouTube was a thing, <laughs> he was putting his doc up on, on Google. And such a fascinating story and episode that really connects a, bu a, a bunch of dots that we, that we have really hammered on these dots individually over you know, almost 200 episodes. But this is, this is a forerunner. This is one of the guys that, that, that was you know, decades ahead of the rest of of us, really, you know, us included, Nate, in, yeah. in expanding our paradigms to understand, like you say, the physicality of things and the what the scriptures said. Like he can connect UFOs, Bigfoot, abductions, sons of God, and the Nephilim. He can connect all these things, right? Where a lot of people just don't know how to connect any of this stuff. Right. He reminds me of an ancient writer who read everything of his day, right? And that's what right. you have to do to make sense of the world. And I think the biblical writers knew everything and they read everything. And Ollie's one of those guys. And this is kind of an old, old old throwback to like early blurry days before anyone listened to our show. We were doing like three-hour interviews. Right. We, got a, we got another long one for you, even though it's like one of our busiest weeks ever as a po as the, as the podcast. Here we have a three-hour interview. But 
thank you so much for listening to this podcast and and those who have come on board to support the show blurrycreatures.com slash members so many members make this happen because here it is almost 10 o'clock at night we're trying to get the kids to bed but uh we're working non-stop blurring blurring baby blur until midnight so you guys make it happen you make the the blurry wheels go round so head over to the membership if you haven't sponsored the show yet and let's get ali on the show i'm excited about this one The history of our Earth is so different from what we can imagine. Enjoy the journey. The Smithsonian, if they found out about a large skeleton somewhere, was to go get it. I'm going to assume at least one person is right, because if one person's right, it busts the paradigm. It all goes back to the fallen chair. And the problem with the modern-day church, they have a very truncated view of the supernatural. This backdrop is just pregnant with all kinds of meaning associated with this Mount Hermon event. And this guy defects from the kingdom. That's a big deal. Welcome to Blurry Creatures. Ali Siadatin, founder of thinkagainproductions.com. You produced a documentary, a groundbreaking documentary called UFOs, Angels, and Gods. And with, that's, that's right in our wheelhouse. We talk about all these things. People who like to get weird to talk about UFOs, aliens, Bigfoot, Sasquatch, Mothman, you name it, but have a biblical worldview. That's kind of where blurry creatures lands. And there's lots of blurry creatures out there, as we've found over the last three years or so. So welcome to Blurry Creatures, Ali. And, um, Thank you for having me, guys. Uh, I'm really looking forward to our conversation. Yeah, yeah. We kick it <laughs> off with what are your thoughts on Bigfoot? What do you th- What do you think about the big guy in the woods? You know, until recently, I, I hadn't thought about it much. Just more like one of those things that may just be you know a story that people tell. But then lately, it really started to come up to the surface, and people started to ask me what I thought of it. So I had to actually think of it. And if I had to put it in a biblical context. And if you know, this is real and there's footage of it and I've seen footage, then I'd say it's 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 one of the hybrids. You know, when you look at the story of hybrids, we, we tend to think of the hybrids as just one type. Like there's the hybrids, you know, that ruled the earth throughout the ages, both before and after the flood. But there is different types of hybrids, actually, uh, especially in the modern phenomenon, which we may touch on later. Um, there, there's different types of hybrids. And so it may be... A hybrid, you know, if if we were to contextualize all of reality in the characters the Bible provides for us. So there's, you know, God, the angels, man, and these hybrids uh, and the evil spirits. So this is kind of what you got to put in one of these categories, then that's that's the category that I would assign to that, um, that it is a hybrid perhaps. I think after, Nate, we're 190 plus episodes in and we've been talking about this since episode yeah. one, um, okay. Ali. So this is, uh, I think we're a lot on, on the same track. It, it, you know, we, you talk about remnants or you talk about, um, there's too much weird things around this creature, right? You have uh, enough stories uh, that, that sort of lend itself to not be some some giant ape that, that, that runs around that we just really can't seem to nail down or, 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 or haul out of the woods, right? And um, as Dr. Michael Heiser famously said on our show, if one of these stories is true, it, it, it breaks the paradigm. And you have to sort of find a way to incorporate this into 
in, in, into your worldview. And, and, I, and so I think that's a, that's a good answer. I, um, yeah, know, I don't me, know. It took me, it took, it took me like yeah. 30 episodes to get to that. Well, and then Nate, you thought. did 10,000 hours of listening to Bigfoot podcasts before we started this podcast. So you, you came in with a pretty good requisite knowledge, if you will, of, yeah, of but the, the big the, guy. The, the, the Bigfoot camp, they don't like, it's, it's weird. They don't really like to talk about Bigfoot being a hybrid. They think that Bigfoot is his own animal. They don't like any of the paranormal stuff associated with it. So you don't get a lot of the, the biblical hybrid Nephilim talk in the Fair. traditional Bigfoot space. And it wasn't until Heiser and some of these other guys started talking about the Nephilim that I was like, wait a minute. I had the same train of thought. And I was like, I gotta, we, we got to start this podcast because there's, there's something weird here with this, this whole history, which I'm sure you're going to get into in this episode of you know, biblical history. It's kind of a lot of Christians are not aware about it. And you grow up in the church and all of a sudden you start getting a little older, ask some harder questions. And then you find these, these people that have devoted their lives to kind of uncovering these, these difficult topics like the Nephilim, hybrids, UFOs, aliens. So welcome, welcome to the show. We'd love to get into it, your story, how you kind of got into this space. And everyone, a lot of people get into this space because they have an experience. They see something and then it's like, okay, my life has changed. I, I cannot go back. I'm out of the box. I cannot go back in. Yes, like you open the door, you can't close. Yeah. Right. But what you've seen, you can't suddenly close and walk away. With me, the the story started in 1996, 1997. I was attending kind of Bible studies, you know, through the small church that had brought me to faith in Christ. We had a weekly Bible study. And one day, you know, the teacher comes in and sits down, and he's a bit uncomfortable, was kind of wiggling around. And I looked at him, and about his body, his body language, and I thought, what's wrong with him? And then so we prayed and we started the study. And he said, you know, open your Bibles to Ezekiel chapter 1. And we read the vision of the prophet Ezekiel by the river Sabar. And he said, we know, why don't you draw it out? He took paper and we, he said, just imagine what he's saying. Listen to the words and draw it. And then he kind of suggested, what if, you know, this throne of God is something that carries the Lord to this place? And what if there's a connection between, you know, this idea of angels coming and going to the earth and this whole, you know, UFO phenomenon that people talk about. And he said that he was holding that in his mind for years and he struggled about sharing it with us, but he felt compelled to do it and he kind of let it let it go. And that really piqued my uh, interest because I'd come to faith in the summer of 1991 and I'd spent the first few years figuring out what had happened to me and what was the Holy Spirit and who was the Messiah and why is it that I'd had this experience and understanding, you know, the Old Testament and the prophecies and the New Testament and the whole center of spiritual transformation, like this idea of, you know, the veil being removed and the spirit coming into a person, which is what I'd experienced, but I wanted to understand why I hadn't really turned my mind to the study of angels. It was something that I just assumed as an article of faith at this point. There, was, there, there are characters in this book. You know, there are stories, yes, you see them do this and do that. And there's one that sits on the tomb of Christ as he opens it. And other ones bring messages. Uh, so that kind of, but just, you know, wasn't really a focus. But this really sparked my interest. And I thought, hmm, that's an interesting idea. And, and I asked him, well, if there's anything I could read. And you have to understand that in the 1990s, there wasn't a lot to read from, from a Christian point of view. So we were reading essentially. You mean about UFOs? 
Yeah, but you like no one had written a book, or they mean there was some, but like, hey, there's a there might be a connection with this and the Bible. So you know, there was a biblical view, a Christian view. There was it was very sparse. Yeah. So we had to kind of go look inside of the writings of other people that may have were not Christian, but they may have made similar connections between other religious traditions and other myths, and you know, whether modern UFO phenomena. And, th- and just be critical and see if there's any information we could extract that would help us in our biblical search, you know, into all of this. Like, you know, you might read The Chariots of the Gods by mm-hmm. Von Kolkin because that's the only thing that was, you know, uh, he was like one of the guys, the ancient astronaut theorists, or there were several of them. There was, there was a whole slew of them. Um, they each had their specialties. Accurate Sitchin obviously was very famous in all of that. And we didn't care for adopting their paradigm or their perspective. It was more about sifting through information using them as a as as a dictionary. Like they had mm-hmm. found stuff. And then we're like, hey, well yeah, they found something interesting here. Right. Maybe let's, you know, does that how does this fare in the light of the Bible? So I started to look into it and it was interesting. And then in nineteen ninety nine I had this compelling thought that kept coming to my mind, which was I need to go to Iran and see my dad. And my dad, uh, my parents were divorced, you know, when I was six years old and my dad never left. And he had remarried. And I had this, I just, you know, go see my dad and tell him that there's going to be, apparently there's a possibility that according to the scroll of this prophet Ezekiel, there could be a war between Iran and Israel. And should this war ever occur, even though he can't do anything about it, that he should at least disagree with it in his conscience. And this was my message for my dad. He kept coming to me like a tell, like a, just like a heartbeat. Like I'd be walking in the street, walking. He just this idea kept popping into my head. And so eventually, it caught my attention. I'm like, okay, this is from the Lord. Like I wouldn't naturally have this thought. And so I decided that I was going to follow through and go and deliver this message to my dad. And so I had, you know, I had the Christmas holidays and I had time off. So I booked a flight and I went there and you know, we came in home from the airport. By the time you get home, it's like 6 a.m. Uh, you know, you land there like at 3, 4 in the morning. By the time we go through customs, the airport is like an hour away. So like 6 a.m. We're, we're in there and and usually because time is limited, you know, you only have a couple of weeks, you tend to get into things right away. And uh, I said to him, you know, that there's something I want to tell you. He's like, what is it? And I told him that you know that that this this was this was the message. And he said, "Well, uh, thank you very much. You know, appreciate appreciate that. I I'll keep that in mind." And his wife was just like, kind of standing there listening. And 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 then it's like, okay, maybe we should go to bed. And I thought to myself, "Well, that was kind of non-climactic for for some reason. <laughs> I believe you know that I'd come to deliver this message, and I would say this, and there'd be like these sparks and." He'd go, oh, what? And I'd be like, yes. But no, it was more like, okay. And I was like, wow, maybe I heard wrong. Wait, Ali, is, is, your, dad a, is your dad a believer or is he, is he a follower of Islam? Um, well, that, that's, that, that, that's a great question. He was, he was like an agnostic. He just believes in God. He was more okay. like a, a lived a libertarian life. Okay. And, and just, you know, in the background, kind of believed in the existence of a God, but lived a libertarian life. So then what happened was the next day I'm in the room and I hear them t- call me and they go, 
come back, come back. And I had mentioned that the previous night that this war may involve Russia. I told him that because, you know, I was following Cyrus Schofield, who was a dispensationalist teacher at the Schofield Bible. And in Schofield, in this prophecy of Ezekiel 38, 39, mentioned that maybe Russia would be involved. And I thought, okay, I mean, there's a whole way he came to that conclusion. And so I just mentioned that to him. He said, come out, come out. And I went out and they're watching the news and a Russian officer, a general, had come to Tehran and Iran and Russia were signing a military pact. And they've signed many military pacts. Even recently, since the Ukraine war, they've signed more military pacts with each other. And so for some reason, this clicked. And he said, didn't you say Russia would be involved? I said, yes. And somehow, I don't know, that moment, they were both like suddenly became super curious. And my dad said, are you telling me this book tells the future? I said, yes. And he said, well, that could be very good for business. I'll, I'll listen to, you know, what, <laughs> like, you know, like, here I am bringing a message, you know, eschatological importance to my dad and, and, and living under the Islamic Republic. And he's like, oh, that'd be good for business. So, yeah, it's, it's like you brought it's like you brought back the sports <laughs> almanac in, in Back to the Future too. You're right. he's like I could I could right, use right. this. <laughs> yeah, exactly, yes. exactly. Um, and he's like, okay. So they sit down, and I so I start to well open up you know that prophecy to them. They get very curious. They get really moved, and they want to know everything. They get very thirsty suddenly, and we start going from Genesis, like the story of Adam and Eve, and we build it up. I mean, I, I do everything, the story of Israel, the covenants, the messianic prophecies. And by the time we get the Gospel of John, we're reading it now chapter by chapter. And this is all we're doing now all day, like morning to night. And like dinner and going out until we can sleep. And by the time we get to John chapter 22, they both ask to be baptized. They can't take it anymore. Wow. And my dad's like, how is it that these people didn't believe it? Like he's talking about the Jewish people that he was preaching to, that kind of thing. So... I mean, that was just a, his, you know, very youthful, like, you know, uh, moment. But he was very excited. And they both got baptized in the bathtub of, of, of his house. And I was like, wow, this thing really went much better than I <laughs> <laughs> you know, This yeah. This really worked out. Yeah. And so at that point, they said, you know, why don't we draw, why don't we go to Shiraz? Because that's where my dad is from. And that's where his wife is from. Mm. And that's where the larger family lives. So this was the capital of Tehran, and Shiraz is about 11 hours to the south by car. And we're like, let's go on a road trip. It's very, it's, it's, it, there are more accidents in Iranian highways than any place in the world statistically. Wow. Not only does no one kind of follow the rules of driving, it's not that people follow the rules of driving, they have their own rules. Yeah. And you have yeah. to know it. Like uh, one of the times that I went there for the first time, you know, he came down, this steep street, which was his street, this is, lives on top of the hill, and then he turned left, and suddenly I realized that it's a one-way, and all these cars are coming at us. <laughs> and I was like, what are you doing? And the cars just, like a river went around us, and he went through. He said, you know, this wasn't a one-way. This used to be a two-way. <laughs> and they decided that this chunk of it is supposed to be a one-way, and we just don't agree. It doesn't make sense. <laughs> So we all it as a two-way, and, and they know, and I know, and we all know. And like you just, boom. And so it's kind of like that, right? It's yeah, like the rules yeah. of the road are negotiated uh, between the people, and, and you got to be in the know. If, you know. So, 
the highway, it's, it has to do with speed limit. No one follows any speed limits. So people are driving super fast, like su- very fast, like full, it's like the Autobahn. And so if there's an accident, really people don't survive. So he said, you know what, why don't we drive after midnight because the highway is more safe. I had in passing, just in passing, just as we were kind of reading the Bible and we talked about angels, I just like thrown the idea out. I said, oh, by the way, guys, there might be a connection between this whole thing and angels. Just like literally one sentence, like one statement. And then we just moved on because that's still like there are article of faith at this point. They're part so of the you're Bible. T- you're talking about UFOs. Like there's might be yeah, a, yeah, a, yeah, a yeah, UFOs. Yeah. And so we got in the car and we drove and the first leg of the journey is to Isfahan, which is the second largest city of Iran. And it maybe has 3 million people in it, perhaps more. You know, there's no specific statistics. And then we're going to sleep there and drive to Shiraz. So this is the first leg of the journey, Tehran to Isfahan. It's well past midnight now, and we're now deep in the road. It's like an Arizona-type desert. It's like oh. a rocky, stony desert. It's not like sand dunes. There are no street lights. There's just the light of the odd car that may be going. It's just us and the starry night. And then there's like villages, which are essentially pit stops. There's always a restaurant that's open 24-7 for travelers and a gas station, that kind of thing. And so um, I have my back to the passenger door. My dad's wife is driving and he's sitting in the middle of the back seat. And I'm talking Bible to them. I'm just that I'm on a roll and I have two weeks and I'm just giving them all the information that I humanly can and they're very thirsty and they're drinking it like like they have found, you know, an oasis or something. Mm-hmm. And suddenly my dad's wife, she points out the window behind my head and she goes, and I'm just so caught up in what I'm saying that I'm not really paying attention. And my dad looking at me, you know, he, he notices that. So he turns around and says, Nima, what's wrong? And she just keeps doing that. So he then turns around. And next thing you know, they're both doing it. And they're going, oh, yeah. And I'm like, what's wrong with you guys? So I just kind of sit in, properly in my seat, just what they're pointing to. And there is this large, large spherical object. If like It, it would be like a... You know, three, four-story residential building, like half a block wide. This thing, it was huge. And it's slowly coming down, and it's glowing with a pulsating green light like that. I can see structure. I can even see what, I don't know, I don't know if there are windows, but I can see structure, and I can see that all around it, there is um, a multitude of green lights. I can see the green lights that are everywhere, and that's why it's pulsating green. And slowly coming down, I'm like, oh, this is a helicopter. I'm like, no, this is not a helicopter. And slowly coming down, and then it's perpendicular to the car, and this black tube comes out of the ground, and it's the same color as the desert night. If you weren't so close to it, you wouldn't see the, the cylinder itself. And this thing goes right on top of it and goes into the ground, and it's just a severe it was slowly coming down, and it went down. Into the ground? Into the ground. I mean, and how close, Ali, how close is this to you? As you, I mean, you guys are still moving, right? Did you stop the car, or are you still driving? Yes, we're driving. How close is this? How many, you know, it's it's hard for me to say how many feet it was. Maybe 500 feet. Um, I, 
So like a hundred yards, like a football field, maybe away. Yeah. Yeah. I could see I could see the tube. I could see how wide the tube was. I could see the tube come out. And then I could see this thing go on top of it and go down with great clarity. And I could also see that the tube was just as black as the desert night. Like if you were not as close as we were to it, you wouldn't see that tube. That's wild. Now, and it's, yeah. You say it's like four, probably you say it's a city block or four yeah, city like blocks. City block. It was, it was huge. Huge. This thing was huge and it had levels and I could, I could kind of see that, Hey, it has levels. Mm. Wow. Did it yeah. go? It was, well, did it go in the tube? So wild. Or yes, on the tube. It went on the tube. It went like on the tube, and then the tube went in the ground and disappeared with it. You know, like I don't know the technical, you know, detail. What happened up there? It came out. This thing had like an angle of descent with hindsight. You know, like a, when you're landing a plane, it's kind of coming like this, and then the tube came up, and then it was just right on top of the tube, and then just like that, like a, in a, like that, the tube went down in the ground like quickly. Like that. How long do you think you were watching it? I don't know, maybe 12, 12 to 15 seconds. Very quick. And what, what yeah. is that? That's so, and it's just gone. It's gone into the desert. There's, there's nothing. Yes. And then my dad's wife suddenly yelled out, This is a sign from God to tell us that all that Ali's saying is true. Like about the Bible and mm. the gospel and Jesus and, and all of that. And then she's like, did you see that? Did you see that? He's like, I did. And I just, I just like silently sunk into my seat, even though, you know, the idea had been introduced to me, even though, you know, I had pot, you know, just kind of basically looked, looked at it from the outside, traced it with my mind by reading a few books, but this suddenly made it very real. And I was oh. wow. And, you know, you kind of go in a state of shock, the truth is. You don't start talking about it. You don't right. start, oh, wow. It's, you know, later when I became a researcher, I realized that this was very common. Basically, it was outside of the reality of people. So they don't know what to do with it because it's outside of their common reality. They often use like expressions like it was like a Mintos or like a ping pong table or a burger or a hot dog because they have to use something familiar first to describe it. Mm-hmm. Well, but they don't know what to do with the information because it's outside of all the paradigms that we collectively yeah. share with each other. And so you're not like suddenly, you know, and then so we went to bed. The next morning we woke up, we we're having breakfast. And I thought, aren't we going to talk about it? You know, when we're sitting <laughs> the breakfast table. And I realized that there was no opening about that. So we went to Shiraz. And when we went to Shiraz, it would take too long for me to tell you a story, but I'll just make this statement because I want to stay on track with you know our conversation. But in Shiraz, it was incredible just the way it all happened. A series of incredible events unfolded and seven other people got baptized. Mm. Wow. These little Bible studies that I was doing with them, two of them became group studies as other people joined. And this... One woman also eventually came and she was devout, like she wore the tent and all that stuff. Mm-hmm. And her daughter got baptized. And, you know, when she removed her hair, her uh, hijab, she was shaking because I was the first man to have seen her hair wow. as, I, as I baptized her. But the mother, it was, it was incredible what happened when I came back. They received dreams. It was an incredible, it ended up being an incredible trip. I was, yeah. you know, so glad that I answered the call of God 
to go mm-hmm. there, all these baptisms, this UFO sighting, you know, that ended up being the trip. So, so when I came back, I, you know, I, then I just dove into the research, like, you know, head first. And now I was, you know, seeing is believing, they say. And so I, I went on these websites to look at uh, what people were saying. There was one, I think it was called the UFO Research Center, which was people could put in their own sightings. And it was very therapeutic. I put my own and I started to read other people's and now I could believe all of it. You know, it's like the wood, the shapes they were seeing was just normal people, everyday people. And they were saying what the shape of it and and where they saw it. And and there was lots, it was the website divided it by geography. So I could see that in my province, Ontario, where I live too, there was lots of this. And I was like, wow, this thing is real. Like until here, I think I had a distant cultural relationship with it. Like it's like, you know, people coming, you know, out of a trailer park something (laughs) and saying that they were probed or something like i know it sounds very (laughs) uneducated for me to have had those thoughts but i think that's where i was deep at some level even though i was reading his books about the past and but but still it's like you know it's like you know you can't really get into it it seems like that's you're culturally trained that way i realize now because you know I, i i became a specialist so i know the entire cultural story of how how this phenomenon was presented the culture and and the different cultural paradigms that North America has gone through vis-a-vis this phenomenon because it has changed since the late 40s and now we're entering a new one. So I was essentially responding to the programming that I'd received. And so I think the Lord kind of opened the door, you know, like when when Elisha prays to God and says, you know, open the eyes of my student here so that he can see the ones that are with us are greater than the chariots of the king of Assyria who are pursuing them. I think it's in mm. Dotan. And and so then the Lord opens the eyes of the disciple and he sees that they're surrounded by chariots of fire, Rechevesh. And so it was as though God went kind of like, you're going to be talking about this. And like he opened this window and he said, no, look at this, what's this? And so, uh, so I think that's kind of what I had experienced and, and so that got me into researching. I took the deep dive and the fruits of that research became this documentary that I released in 2006 called UFOs, Angels, and Gods. And again, the picking was slim as far as who you could interview. Many of the ideas were coming to me. So you see there's a lot of typing and narration. That's mm. me. I wrote all the typing and all the narration. That's, that's me inserting the missing links because there's no one for me to interview who has these ideas. Right. I'm literally, you know, coming up with them. And so the uh, when we released it, it was on Google Video, which was kind of the ancestor of YouTube. Mm-hmm. YouTube belonged to these young 20-year-old kids, three of them, and it, they just beat Google. Everyone thought, okay, Google Video is going to be the big thing, not YouTube. And and people were skeptical that you could even have video on, on in the internet. People were like, oh, no, internet is only for audio. <laughs> I remember and, those days. That's funny. A lot of people, days. a lot of young kids will never believe yeah. that. But yeah, like video is never going to make it. What are you talking about? This is not... Like the internet's a fad. Remember, I remember the late nineties. Yeah. Internet's a fad. People are going to people aren't going to shop online. They don't trust it. Right, right. All these things. It's like it would take forever for a picture to download. You're waiting there, and the pixelations would come. And you're like Hook. buffering. At this point, I have a question. Like when you see this UFO, 
where are you at in this journey of, of, you know, God opening your eyes to see these things? Because I think a lot of people have a similar story. Oh, these are thoughts of many years later. Like when I say to you, God opened my eyes, I see that with hindsight. Mm-hmm. Then I was just in a state of shock, like, what? This is real? Like, that's where I was at that point. And, and now I was going to, you know, look into the Bible for answers. And it ended up being like a key, like God had given me a key that opened, demythologized many passages for me. In, in retur- and then in turn, the Bible explained it, mm. contextualized it, shed light on it. So there was a mutual relationship. The key opened the door of semantic bites in the Bible, and then the Bible in turn gave me the interpretation, the understanding mm. of what was going on, who these things were, and where it was all going. Now, in the Bible studies that I was attending, I think there was a series of revelation um, coming to all of us, I mean, as a group, and this had to do with the sons of God and the daughters of men mm-hmm. that were like, okay, this is real. Like there were actual Nephilim. And again, I looked up the word Nephilim. So I, I went to Yahoo because Google didn't exist at that time. And I put in Nephilim and it said zero search results found. Mm-hmm. Did you go to Alta Vista after if that? I didn't go to Alta Vista. <laughs> yes, I didn't go to Alta Vista. Ask Jeeves. Yeah. Ask Jeeves. You know, it was the idea was that everyone in search engines would like specialize in something. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like Altavisto was the academic one. And and Yahoo was like the everyman search engine. And I was a graduate student at the University of Toronto. So I had access to, you know, high speed fiber optic. They had they dug the ground, oh, yeah. oh, brought yeah. in fiber optic. And and so I was like, Yeah, let's go. And and I went there and I, you know, zero search results found. So I had to do my research through books, and there was not a lot. I know I, I discovered what the word Nephilim meant in Hebrew, like it came from Nephal. One day I came across Chuck Missler, and he had a tape, an actual tape, called uh, Nephilim. And I thought, wow, this guy's talking about it. So I grabbed the tape, and you know, I, I learned a few things, but I already had figured out uh, most of the stuff that, was, that he had on the tape, but still I was like, someone's talking about it. And then he'd written a book called Alien Encounters, and I read that. It was great. Even Chuck Missler, uh, I learned so much from Chuck mm. Missler. was an incredible Bible scholar, incredible teacher. So my mind had opened up to the concreteness of angels yeah. through the story of the sons of God and the daughters of men. But the chariots and the idea of flight or the heavens, this wasn't part of the menu of thought. Uh, it was just about the giants and their, you know, angelic parents and Chuck did a good job of, you know, opening up all the passages where the sons of God existed. And one of them was the book of Job. Um, I think it's chapter 37 or 38. I think it's 38 verse 7. It talks about how the sons of God cried out for joy yeah. when God created the earth. And of course, you know, it was clear that Adam wasn't here. So there was no line of Seth that clearly was angelic. You know, that, that to me made it pretty obvious that these guys existed before. Yeah, we the did. the Sethites weren't there, you know, cheering, cheering on God when he when he made the earth, right? <laughs> right. Yeah. 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 And so the uh, it was like pieces of a puzzle. Chuck in his book, he said he had one line in the book that stuck to me like glue. It said there may be a connection between modern day abductions and the ancient tale of the Nephilim. Mm-hmm. 
And that stuck to me, like it just like 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 those words stuck to me. Like I knew I had to look into that. I was like made a mental note. Okay, I'm gonna look into that. And so then after I started to look into that phenomenon, like modern day abduction, what's that? I mean, it gets it just kept getting more and more weird. Right. And so I looked up and there was a man, Dr. David Jacobs was his name. Yeah. Temple University in Philadelphia. And so I ordered his book. And and I uh, was attending a kind of a Christian camp where you get a cabin in the middle of the woods and you're alone mm-hmm. and you kind of spend the time in meditation and prayer. And I said, oh, I'll take this book with me to read, not realizing that I was taking a book about demons, essentially, I had to read in the middle of the woods by myself. So I'm going up there and I'm sitting you know, at night reading this book and as I realized that this is a very well-written book, these stories are very real, it's very believable, and it's dawning on me that, wow, these are demons, these are fallen angels. I mean, this is the sons of God continuing into our age, and he's documenting this. And, you know, it's kind of eerie to be in the middle of the woods and to have these thoughts that, that there are demons around. And so... By the time I finished that book and I was up there in that cabin, I was coming back to the main house and I kind of crossed the fence and the idea just kind of landed into my mind that the seed of the serpent mentioned in Genesis chapter three, that this could be taken literally. But now that I could, that I see there were hybrids in the past throughout the scriptural record, Mm -hmm. but there are also hybrids in the present and that it's possible that the final Challenger, the final Goliath who meets the son of David, that's a type of, of this entire story. Why is Goliath a descendant of the Nephilim? Well, perhaps, you know, because uh, the final one, the final Goliath, the son of perdition, is going to be the seed of the serpent. And I thought, I got to tell people about this. I got to tell the church about this. And then I met a gentleman and um, he offered that we do a documentary. But what happened is I met a gentleman and he's and we were talking about life and about God. And he said to me, you know, maybe these, this whole alien thing is our only hope. Maybe the aliens will save us. And I said, no, 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 no. You don't understand. It's not what you think. And I sat him down and I told him what I believed. We talked about three hours and that I was done. He was in the movie business. So as it was done, I got out to leave. He said, look, if you want to make a documentary about that, I'll do it with you. And so the next week I said, yes, let's make a documentary. And Chuck Missler was visiting our town, and I prayed to the Lord, and I said, Lord, if, if you give me Chuck to be a guest, I'll take that as a sign that you want us to do it. So mm. I called his representative in Canada, Cade, and I said, "This we're making a documentary about this whole thing. Would Chuck agree to be interviewed? And he said, yes. And then that's it. It just one thing, just so many things came together. The documentary was released on Google Video, and it went viral. It absolutely exploded. It had the equivalent of what in today's standards would be millions of years. And people were calling me from the whole world, everywhere, like Taiwan, Italy, all over the United States. I had a map. I I was offering it for free, but you could buy the DVD and I would have a map as to where a person bought a DVD. I was selling so many DVDs that I would come look up the addresses, go to the post office, mail it. By the time I get back, there was a whole slew of new orders. Mm. And and so, and even though it was free, and then suddenly, you know, uh, the phone rang. And I'm like, yes. And they're, they're like, the guy's like, I'm calling from Hollywood. I'm like, he's like, you got to take it off. Take it off Google Video. We want to distribute it. 
and this is how we're going to do it. We're going to go, we're going to make these, these different versions of it. And there's going to be merchandising and we're going to get it everywhere. And I prayed about it and I th- and I, the Lord revealed to me that the internet was going to become bigger. And if the point was to get the word out that I should just leave it on the internet, someone knocked on the door and I went to open it. It was my place of work, my studio. And it was a Catholic priest and two nuns. And I thought they were like lost or something. <laughs> 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 like they all dressed up, and I'm like, "Yes." They're like, "Oh, we've come here to see you. We've seen your documentary." Mm. Just it just it was wild the way it was received. I said, "I put it up, and you couldn't check how many views you had. You had to wait 24 hours." And so the next day, I came, I logged in, and it said 5,000 views, and that was a lot. I know it doesn't sound a lot for today, but in 2006 on Google Video, it was a lot, and I was like, "Wow, 5,000 views!" And I came the next day. And it was another 5,000 views. And it just kept going. And next thing you know, it's 100,000 views, 200,000 views, 290,000. It just go. It's just, and it was a lot for that time. It became one of the most popular items at all of Google Video. So when you logged into Google Video from the entire world, there were six things that appeared on the front page. It said most popular and ours was one mm-hmm. of them. Wow. And, and Google Video picked picture. That, that would appear there, it just randomly. And the picture they had picked was a drawing I had of the Magi's pointing to the star. Mm. I thought that was, you know, it was, it was oh. kind of a fitting, uh, fitting image. So if you, if you guys want, I can tell you what is it that I actually found in the Bible. Yes. Yeah. Yes? Yeah, absolutely. The piece of the puzzle. So the whole idea of the chariots in the Bible, the chariot of Elijah, for instance, the term is Rechev in Hebrew, which means to carry. That's where the root word RKV means to carry, something that carries you from A to B. It actually means vehicle. The reason it was translated as chariot was because until the modern era, there was no other vehicle but a chariot. So it was re- so people just translated it as chariot, but actually it means something that carries you from A to B. Mm-hmm. And it is associated with the world of angels, like it says, the Rechev Elohim, the chariots of God, I think this should be translated as chariots of angels, but regardless, we'll leave it as such. Psalm 68, 17. The chariots of God are twice 10,000 thousands upon thousands. The Lord is among them in Sinai. So this is Psalm 68, verse 17. The chariots of God are twice 10,000 thousands upon thousands. The Lord is among them. Sinai is now in the sanctuary. This idea that God came with his angels to Mount Sinai to deliver the the written instructions, the Torah. And this particular insight that comes to David, I guess from the Holy Spirit, places God or with his angels and their research. Or for instance, if you look at, everyone knows the story of the prophet Elijah going up in a chariot of fire, a horse of fire, and a whirlwind. That is the same term, research. There is the word fire added, Rechev Esh. Or the story I mentioned of Elisha uh, at praying that the eyes of his student open up, same word, Rechev Esh. When you look at modern day Hebrew, when they drew the first rail from Jerusalem to Jaffa, as Hebrew was resurrected as a modern language, they're like, oh, we don't have a word for train. So they went to the Bible to see what word they could find Mm from which they could construct the word train. And they settled on this word, 
Rasev, the root RKV. That's why a train in modern Hebrew is Rikvat. It's the plural. It means wagons. Wagons attached to Rikvat. Many vehicles. Many these things that carry you. Many of them. And when you look at the, the kind of the relationship between heaven and earth as portrayed in the biblical account, in the book of Exodus, in the book of Numbers, Moses is shown heavenly things and told to create earthly replicas. That's right. He's shown, you know, the temple. He's supposed to create a tent of meeting, which is kind of a replica, and other artifacts, even the candlestick, things that are God says and that he's showing it to him and then to him and the elders and build human replicas, like earthly replicas. And man, at the beginning of the story of Genesis, is presented as the image bearer of God, which is in some ways like an echo of heaven. And the temple, an echo, contents in it. Moses sees heavenly things and he creates human replicas. The fact that we have governance here, that there are laws here, the concepts of wisdom, justice, love, all of these are echoes of apparently heaven. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Authority here because there's authority in you know, in the cosmic reality. Mm -hmm. There are laws that we have among us because God delivered those to Adam and Eve already had commandments to follow. So, so earth very much is presented as an echo of heaven. And so even our prayers suggest that we want our life here to be aligned with the way things are in heaven. Mm -hmm. The Lord's Prayer, right? Yes, exactly. the Lord's yeah. Prayer, exactly. Yeah. When you're kind of looking at Christian tradition, you see that with the infusion of Gnosticism and Hellenistic thinking, which saw the spirit as the highest form of reality, because the Hebrew God comes back in the flesh. Like in the Gospel of Luke, the Lord says, come and touch my wounds. Mm -hmm. And then he says, give me food to eat, and they give him milk and honey. And then he makes the statement that I, you see, I have flesh and bone. Mm. I'm not a ghost or a spirit. Right. So he actually makes those those that statement. And I find that a lot of the, well, not a lot, but I find that there are things in the New Testament, the Gospels and the Epistles, that later become antidotes to future heresies. And when the church is going to go away and make an error, there's a pattern of behavior that already began early on that is addressed by God, and that pattern will repeat itself, like this idea of the spiritualization of things. So the Lord is, there already is a spirit version of God. It's called the Holy Spirit. And there's the Father who inhabits eternity. But then there is the one who comes back in the physical from the dead. And there is the trans, uh, you know, he, he's transformed the transfiguration. So there is more to his body, especially to his glorified body. His body is not like ours. His body is more like the one we're going to receive mm -hmm. when we receive the glorified body. But nonetheless, it is inside of the process and sequence of time and space. And it's physical, right? It's physical. It's physical. It's, it, it, yes. yeah. it's physical. I'm trying to walk this, you know, this fine yeah. line, you know, yeah. like right on these eggshells. Well, so, I mean, yeah, Thomas says, you know, and Jesus says, Look at the whole look at look at the, the holes in my hand. Like touch them, Thomas, right? There. And and they're there. Right. So yeah. there's a there's a physicality. It's we've talked about this yeah, show yeah. Like, about like you know the angels walk into Sodom, and you have the angel of the Lord who wrestles with Jacob, yeah. and you have the angel of the Lord that sits down with Abraham and eats. Yes, and you go. That's it's not really an, the actions, or, actionable items of an ethereal being. 
That's yes. yeah. So, so the this, the process of it, and then there's the one, the angel that sat on the tomb of the Lord. Why would mm-hmm. all the things that the Holy Spirit could reveal? <laughs> the sitting, the sitting. That's yeah. what focus on. And so I have a section in the documentary where, where I call it the physical nature, the chapter called the physical nature of angels, and I cover all the examples you gave. So you're right. You know mm-hmm. the one with Abraham, Sodom, and Gomorrah. You don't hurt your hip if you're Jacob by wrestling with a spirit, right? That, that, this exactly. is just a, that's an odd thing to have. <laughs> That's an odd thing to say, right? Yeah. And so when the Lord comes, you know, back from the dead, he also says, you know, that I'm trying to look for the passage quickly. He says that I have flesh and bone. He actually says those words. And and I think there's a reason why they were put in there. So what happened, Nay, is that, yes, first the Hellenistic thoughts came in where the Jewish religion was overwhelmed by the coming of the Gentiles into it. And they brought their own ideas in it. We see that in the seven letters that wrote, uh, the Lord wrote or spoke, you know, and sent to his messenger, where he's talking about the infusion of all of this, you know, pagan thought in those very important cities were holy cities to the Romans, uh, those seven cities. And so we see that these ideas come into the church and the Gnostics and the Greeks, their idea was that the ultimate manifestation of God would be spirit. So the physical was seen as a lower level. Mm. So suddenly a dichotomy is introduced that I'm going to show you how it's built on where the relationship between heaven and earth is altered. It's no longer this biblical paradigm that I just presented that we are an echo of heaven, that it's got nothing to do with we are physical and they're ghostly. But the Gnostic thinking puts that into play. Suddenly we are in the physical realm, but more higher and mightier than us is a non-physical realm of God and the angels, these new characters adopted by the Greeks, but placed inside of their concept of the highest place that one could put these guys. But in the Bible, earth and things in it are a shadow of heaven. In in the sense that if we make boats and cars to travel around, because somehow we're the sons of God and we are echoing the way Mm. things are done, in the heavenlies. You yeah, yeah. Saying? We talk about that a lot. Like, you know, why were they building, why were they Nephilim building certain things? Where did they get this idea to build these things down here? Were there mansions and right. castles in heaven, and megaliths in heaven? Were they were they echoing right. that? Why why are there these fruit trees described in the garden? Why are there a manna from heaven? Yeah. We we talk a lot roads walls yeah. all those yeah. things that, yeah that exist in heaven right it's yeah. geometry look right. when Cain builds a city you know for his son that means he he chose that he understands geometry and architecture where did he learn yeah. those were they innately in his mind were they taught by angels to him either way the point is he utilizes those laws so God's creation God's physical creation. The, is a magnificent place. Ali, I want to say that on this note, one of the things I love about the, in the doc is and that I don't. I think we haven't really been explicitly talked about Nate on the show is the the effigies of angels with wings, right? Yes. It, the yes. simplistic answer is these that they flew, that yes. they flew somehow, or they traveled by flying somehow, and the Great. only way to contextualize that. Yes, was to give them wings. That's how we. But the reality is, perhaps as you were saying, and I, maybe I'm jumping ahead here, but the way that they get from place to place, in the same way that we get from place to place, yes, is traveling, perhaps. Yes, flying. It's a mystery. Not, Where are they right. going and how are they getting there? 
but for until but so far we can see that there are these things in vehicles in the Bible and they exist outside of our window because the Bible talks about real things, real places, real people, things that we can dig out, earth, like Jerusalem, uh, Babylon. We can archaeologically Jericho. Dig these, we can dig them up. Yeah. Jericho. We can dig it up. People that are real. And so it must talk about real things that we should be able to see outside of our window. So once I saw this whole thing, and I was like, well, where is this in the Bible? Suddenly this whole part of the Bible came to life. It's always been there. There's always been this relationship. There's been a physicality to the, to the quote, spiritual realm. And, and, and yes. most people reject Genesis 6 just because they don't believe that angels have, you know, male body parts. Yes. <laughs> here, here you go. Here you yes. go, Nate. And exactly. they, or or yeah. they say something crazier. They say, oh, <laughs> angels just take on whatever form they want. And I'm like, okay, so right. they're what? Are there they're wizards? It's totally made up. Here's something scarier. The angels are called the sons of God, and we are called the sons of God. Why are we compatible genetically? How is that possible? Could it be that God, who has no form and is beyond all reality, entered, first became physical. He manifested as the angel of the Lord. And then he created in that form, and he created from himself us and them. So there's a compatibility because... Both of us has a we have a common source, and so would that imply that you know God has a, pr pr breathed His Spirit into Adam, the neshama, and Adam became a chayinefesh, became a living soul, and he was made of the mud. You know, could it be that somehow in, there's a transmission uh, in that spirit, in that breath, that something they received as well? That is, I don't know if I can give God genes, but. There is a gene connection between us and them that's compatible. You know, you can't right. just make babies with anything, right? So giant, giant babies in that case, right? Giant babies, and then the modern era, we can, we'll get to it, is a little bit different. So this whole part of the Bible comes to life, and after the Gnostic period, where this spiritual, Jesus becomes a spirit, he's in the realm of spirit, and when you die, you become a spirit, and he's a spirit. How did the angel get their, get their wings? When Constantine gave the Edict of Tolerance, and people came out of the catacombs and all that, they they wanted to have art. They wanted to have Christian art now. And they thought, okay, you know what? There's all this Roman art around. We'll, we'll just take it. So for instance, there was Isis and Osiris, like the story of this woman holding her child. And they're like, you know what? We'll just adopt that. We'll just call that, that that'll be Jesus and Mary. Mm -hmm. So the artists would just create exactly Isis and Osiris, but now it's Jesus and Mary. And so you kind of see that emerge. Apollo was a sun god. He had a huge halo around him because he was a sun god. And the halo represented the sun. It was, okay, we'll just take that halo and put it behind Jesus. And now that's how we will differentiate Jesus from the other characters we're going to create. He'll have Apollo's halo. And then on the tomb of Romans, and there's a video I have on my YouTube channel, uh, you can watch where I put a clip of this man in Rome who was talking about this period of Roman history, and he goes to the tomb. So the tomb of Romans had these things on them called Nikes, and they're little boys with wings, and they carry the soul of the dead to the realm of the gods, and they're holding the soul in between their hands with little little boys with wings. And he says, you know, like, he says, you look at this. What do you think this is? And, and obviously everyone's going to go, those are angels. And he says, no, these are Nikes, the carriers of the souls. They were pagan things that existed before Christianity came to Rome. And the Roman artists just took it. And they said, from now on, 
these would be the angels. Mm. So the idea of wings maybe goes back to the cherubim and the seraphim, which are the only things that seem to have wings. But Ezekiel doesn't describe flappy feather wings like that of a bird. They're very straight. They make this awful noise. And when they move, they're up. And when they stand, they're down. And there's a lot of metal and electricity and hard to understand the details until we see it. And it's wheels within wheels. And it's like one wheel is like this, one wheel is like that. It means it can go in any direction, you know, that it wills. Like it's a throne of God. Oh, by the way, the throne of God. So yeah. in Isaiah. Yeah. <laughs> We're going all over the place. I was going to say, like, maybe a better way to put the angels, humans. It's kind of like angels are the great dame. The purebred Great Danes, and we're just these ugly chihuahuas. Does it work? It works, but you're going to have disastrous consequences when the when that baby comes around. You know, we're all, we're all like technically we'd be canine, right? We would be in the same. We could. It's possible, right? In the family of God, yeah. right? But if you think about it practically, <laughs> chihuahuas. Dude. Good luck. I want to be a bull. I want to be a bulldog. All right. <laughs> all right. You're a little bigger, so you can be. <laughs> you were saying God's chair, God, God's oh, yeah, throne. God's chair. So yeah. In Isaiah 66, verse 15, for behold, the Lord will come in fire and his chariots like the whirlwind to render his anger in fury and his rebuke with flames of fire. So the Lord will come in fire and his chariots, his chariot, the Lord's chariots like the whirlwind, you know, and to render. So now the Lord, so until now I would say, that's why I think Psalm 86, uh, 68 is talking, perhaps I would translate the word Elohim there as angels, but, you know, Rashev Elohim there. Why? Because the word here is Merkeva and it's plural Merkevot, which comes from the same root. And if you look it up, most dictionaries will say it's the same meaning. It just, that's why it's translated the same chariot. There's a slight difference Merkeva is more like a carriage, you know, like King Charles is carried in a carriage. It's like a carriage, and the thing, the M, it's like the thing that does the carry. There are many other Hebrew words where you add the M, and it becomes the thing that does the hmm. action. And I was talking to a, a friend of mine who's from Israel, and he was saying, like, I could come into my garage and say, look at my Merkevas. Or if you look at the tank, the main tank of the army of Israel. It's called the Merkava tank, right? Because it's a vehicle. And so in the book of Daniel, Daniel chapter 7, I think it's verse 14, we see Daniel talk about the son of man mm. who comes to the ancient of days in a cloud. And we see the Lord in the book of Acts ascend into one. And he, in the, Daniel's prophetic eye, tells us that whatever received him in the history, in the historical book of Acts, he appeared in the same to the Ancient of Days at the temple at the heart of time and space. So he was received in the cloud, and Daniel says, the Son of Man came in a cloud to the Ancient of Days. So that cloud, whatever it was that received him, some say it was the glory, fine, but it was something. I'm not saying there are buttons on this thing. I'm not, I'm not reducing it to the USS Enterprise. <laughs> there is a mystery here, but there is something real. And so the Bible speaks of this, and we see it, and there's many different kinds. You know, the angels have their rechev, and God has his merkeva, mm. both coming from the same word. And we don't know what it is, how it operates. I don't want to turn it into sci-fi. Like, right. Gabriel is like, you know, all coming to Mary, and then the pilot's like, 
sir, there's a problem with the carburetor. Yeah. And, you know, we got to make a pit stop. I'm going to look where they, like, you know, where can I find a carburetor around here? And then, you know, they, they, they find Anakin Skywalker or something. No, it doesn't, it doesn't quite work that way. Right. I want to reduce it to that, but I don't want to go with the Gnostic magical spiritualization that the world of angels is the work of mag the world of magic mm -hmm. instead of one that operates within the laws of God's creation because they are finite beings like we are. God is the only one that's not finite. Right. And and they have to operate within the laws of creation. They just know more of it than we do. Mm -hmm. Right. And I was reading the book of Enoch because as we was looking to the sons of God and Nephilim, um, the uh, Jude pointed me to Enoch, so I went and got book of Enoch. I ordered one. And no one, I couldn't find. It. I had to go to a New Age store. That's where they had it. I got. <laughs> That's one. wild. Dude. Yeah, yeah. But eventually, you know, I found one, uh, a good translation that I ordered. Took three weeks for it to get to me. Um, the Oxford University Press, uh, Doctor T. Lawrence. He was the translated it because the guy who found the book of Enoch and. Ethiopia gave a copy to Oxford, kept one for himself, and gave one to the Louvre in the, mm. in, in the 18th century, the Scottish explorer. And so there, um, in the Book of Enoch, um, I could see that the angels were teaching man bodies of knowledge that we would consider science, like um, you know, alchemy or chemistry or astronomy or the astrology. Cutting, the cutting of roots. Right, the, the, yes, right. So pharmacia, like sorcery, pharmacia, pharmacia yeah. uh, metallurgy, but to create weapons mm -hmm. like, you know, um, the, the military arts and the fabrication of swords. When you look at all the weapons, they're just farming instruments. The only weapon that's not a farming instrument is the sword. From the beginning, it was created for one purpose alone to kill man, to take away man's life. It was never a farming instrument. So it was like, the, but I don't think that Azazel just taught like how to make sword. I think the implication is he taught how to use it, right. how to armies. He, he he introduced us to military arts, right? The way that if you don't you don't just give someone like a piece of wood with some strings. No, you teach them music, right? And and that's one, you know. And you look at or you make them into nunchucks, right? If you have you make yeah. <laughs> the, uh, the the <laughs> the whole thing with um, the line of Cain. Um, everything in the line of Cain that we see, like you know, this so-and-so was the first of the metallurgists, so-and-so right. was the first of the musicians. Everything in that line is dedicated to the worship of the fallen angels. The metallurgy was used to create idols. The music was there to sing songs to them. Everything was corrupt. That's how the rabbis interpret it. So, the, the, you know, they're like, hey, this is bad stuff. That's why it's in there. Because... There are only two ways you make it in the Bible, or you are exceptionally good in, you know, uh, in brackets, I know we've all sinned, right. or you're exceptionally evil. It, you know, if you, if you qualify in one of these two categories, you kind of make it into, into the pages of Scripture, it seems. So these angels, they appear differently to my mind now than the magical creatures, you know, just went like this and, and things happen. They, they were angels who knew more, they were beings who knew more about the laws of creation than we did. We were now catching up. If we could break the atom in two and decipher DNA, was because this is the stuff of the sons of God. Mm. If we can pierce 
the first heaven with the Wright brothers and the second heaven with our rockets, with Sputnik, which was like, you know, what threw us into the second heaven and the rockets of Elon Musk. This is the stuff of the sons of God. So, you know, because when you look at the word Shemaim, heavens in the Bible, it includes the sky and sometimes it's translated as a sky because the context determines meaning in the Bible. So the translator says, oh, it's Shemaim, but it actually says the birds are flying in Shemaim. So it, the English is sky. But then it sometimes means the area where the sun and the moon are, and that's the second heaven. And the third heaven is everything beyond that, the, the vastness of the universe. And, you know, David talks about the Shemaim of the Shemaim, the heavens of the heaven. So maybe that's where the temple is at the heart of it all. But definitely the word Shemaim includes the universe. But in the Gnostic, we suddenly, you know, leap into this whole other spirit realm. And St. Augustine is the next step of the spiritualization. He comes and he's the student, well, he's partly the student of Origen. And Origen gives him that highly spiritualized view of the Bible. And St. Augustine essentially seals that for at, at a foundational time where the church is still united in one body. You know, well, not, you know, never has been, but you know what I mean? It's it's united enough that the idea spreads to all of its branches. Mm. It's before right. the division between Orthodox and Catholic and Protestant. Everyone gets mm. it. And then comes the Middle Ages. And in the Middle Ages, we get two, two types of Christians. One, Christians say, you know what? Wow, the creation is the, this is the creation of God. Why don't we actually study it? We're going to learn from it. The other group of Christians said, no, 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 you're not. That's, we have no interest in that. Our focus should be the soul. That's what we should focus on, the soul. And mm. they divide. The one that goes into the study of, of actually the physical creation, like let's say a man like Descartes, it leads to the creation of the universities in Perugia. The other group starts to really put into place the idea that the physical is profane and that which is pure and true is non-physical. Mm. Mm. So that becomes, so after we got the Gnostics and we got Augustine, then we have this. Then we're moving forward now in Christian history and the spiritualization and the magicalness of things and the angels may, and, and you're right, at this point, Catholic art, you know, goes on steroid and takes the Roman you know, transporters of souls and really puts it all over the paintings. And yes, they do put bird wings maybe to also emulate flight. And so now there is, on one hand, we've created a magical realm. And you would call that more Gnostic? That's the Gnostic perspective. And, and then it was amplified by St. Augustine, yeah. amplified late. And now we're in, you know, the the Renaissance and we have now fully created this other magical realm and the angels are there and so is God. And then we have this imagination that's going to be populated with the paintings of the Renaissance masters. Right. And those paintings are going to take us all the way into Netflix. We're still going to make movies that see angels through the eyes of those paintings, which go back to the Roman Reikis, the carriers of the souls. The Nikes, right? Yeah, Nikes, and then they not, also, not, the, not the kind you want to you want to line up for at Foot Locker. You're right. Right. And before that, I think the Nikes may have gotten it from the idea of the cherubim and the seraphim, which was originally something maybe all the nations 
took you know from the origin are you saying there's like two groups of christians like one's like very rational the only thing we can know is these three dimensions and there is no there's not real we don't really talk about the spiritual realm and then the other side is super gnostic they go all the way into the spiritual at this point even those people that go into the physical if they were to think about angels they would think about it in the terms that we're i'm describing okay this just becomes gradually the official way the church understands we're very separated it's 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 out there it's the physical the world of heaven and earth is divided between ghostly and physical yes and then we are just a shadow you know it's funny because a lot of guys come on our show and they don't like the term supernatural for this very reason they don't like saying that because this is what it does in the brain it separates it all right it separates it all and it's a trap of the mm. enemy, I believe. Well, let me just finish this line of thought, and I'll show you how the enemy then created the concept of aliens. So basically, then comes the next stage of the separation where we have the atheists and you know we have the age of enlightenment, and we have these philosophers, especially David Hume, with his idea of materialism, that you can only believe what you can see. And so Christians are like, no, 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 it's through the eyes of faith. We see another realm that you don't see, this spiritual realm. So now, to take a position against materialism, Christianity goes even further into this ghostly realm as the evidence of what a man of faith sees, that a man was natural without the spirit doesn't see. And so at this point, we're fully inside of, this is where the world of angels is magical, it's non-physical. It doesn't matter if the Lord said, I, I have flesh and bone, it doesn't matter if he said, come and touch my wounds. It doesn't matter if he said, gave me food and they gave him fish and honey. It doesn't matter because he became a ghost the moment he left us. You can you can put him, you know, on the back of a donkey. You can put him in the fisherman's boat or even at the end of Roman whips. But if you put him in the heavens with his angels and their chariots, it's sacrilegious to the modern thinker because God is much too big for these things, even though you can't really put God in a box of any size. There is no box big enough to hold God in our in the way we imagine things. But somehow the Christian feels that the ghostly box, the magical box, is the bigger, better, most suited to God. I mean, Ali, real quick though, we we don't you don't completely throw out the spiritual, right? Because we know we have the Holy Spirit, and we know that there are that the demons themselves are disembodied spirits of the Nephilim. We have these, we have a real spiritual realm, but the idea that we categorize everything in that space as spirit is a problem that that has infiltrated the church, right? Because we have a very physical nature of the angelic, in addition to which we know there is a there are spiritual beings and things but i think i think that's a, a slippery slope over because we i think there's a knee jerk I and mean, this is what you're saying there's a knee jerk to 
Make e- make everything that, right? Everything is that. That's a great point brought in. So the idea here is that the spirit, the Holy Spirit and these evil spirits, so the idea is that one would take that because we are in the age of the Holy Spirit and then extend it to create the very fabric of all of reality. Yes. Other than the fact that the spirit is part of it, like you and I are physical beings, yet we have the Holy Spirit. So when the Lord said, I go to prepare a place for you, is he actually preparing a place? Is he still in process and sequence? Do the angels come and report to him and they have conversations and issues commands? Is there a timing to the unfolding of history? And, a, and when the time is right, the father says, go, you know, and sit here until I make your enemies a footstool at your feet. Is he actually sitting? Or is everything a metaphor because it's all just ghostly and magical? So the idea is that the realm, the reality that they are operating in, like the heavenly Jerusalem's description at the end of the book of Revelation, is still inside of, you know, some sort of a substance. And yes, there are spirits, such as the spirit of God himself and the evil spirit, the Shadim, and the spirit of the Nephilim. I mean, that's the the root of of demons, according to yep. the it's the the spirit of the, the angelic portion of the Nephilim roams the earth, and that's why the Lord casts them out as he arrives as the king. So the idea is these things exist inside of God's creation, but the church then takes these spirits' realities and identifies the entire fabric of creation through it. Right, it broad brushes the whole thing, saying, well, this is all then. Well, all, it's all... Phylum and, and kingdom and everything else—it's all the it's same. All like this. So and then and right. then associates magic rather than process to that. Right. Yeah, so, we we did an episode we did an episode recently when in uh, one of our one of our friends of the show, a guy named Doug Van Dorn, talked about the poof theory. Right. And, which is which is the poof they took the form of this and poof they became yes. like men and poof. And yes. you're like, it's just a, it's like Harry Potter, not None not. The angels- Enoch that have all this knowledge, right, you know. Right. So my perspective of angels began to change, and you know, I was like, okay, so these guys are are actually, you know, I don't know how they get there, or where they're going. Do they accelerate the speed of light, and then, like you know, Einstein said, e equals mc two. So if you accelerate the speed of light squared, the mass turns into energy. So then they turn to energy, and yeah. then turn to another realm. I don't know how they do it, but you know, I'll find out eventually. But there is like process, even if you said Gabriel. You know, God says to Gabriel, go talk to Mary. Does God just think Gabriel and Gabriel appears in front of Mary? Yeah. Does uh, Gabriel, you know, get into a, a chariot and come? Does he open a gate? How does he open that gate? If he just walks through the fabric of the, the heavens, uh, does he right. press the button? Does he think the gate open? Is there a gate? Who built that gate? So all of this are processes, right? And the church has never had to think about this. Well, I mean, we, we deal with it constantly. Right, right. Be- because every time we release an episode that has to do with people finding bodies of these beings that fly these, you know, the gray aliens, or they find craft, guys got guys like Bob Lazar, all these whistleblowers coming out saying the government has craft. Christians are the first people on the just to to, to blast us, like we're yeah. making this up because this is all demons. It's all spiritual. It's not real. Right. It doesn't have any physicality. Right. And right. Every day we deal with it, and we're trying to push it forward. That we've very we've limited ourselves. We backed ourselves into a corner. So now, even if this stuff lands on your front yard, you can't accept it. Yes, that's why I think the Lord showed me that. Yeah, 
because it it sealed the idea for me. I knew this was real because I saw one. And then and then it disappeared in the desert on a pole. I, I that is the wild yeah. Ali. That is a wild. I mean, it, if you if you don't see that, how do you? I mean, how do you even? The Prince of Persia has has is yes been here for a long time. Yes, it's a battle, you know, with the angel. It's Daniel ten. Yeah, hundred percent. We talk about that all the time on the show. Like, so if everything's ethereal, then how does it get held up? Doesn't it just like appear? Yes, you know, and it, it, if they fight for twenty one days. How do they exactly fight in their minds? They're like, oh. it's like Jedi's man. You know, like, no, 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 but the, the the crazy thing though, and this is this to drive a point home, is we've had we had a um a Catholic priest on the show, and yeah. he was an exorcist, one of the top exorcists in the Catholic Church, and his view of the supernatural, if we use that term was that everything's very ethereal and they can just show up whenever they want. Like, And then he's always casting out the devil and the demons can just be here and angels can just be here. And it's a very hard to, ju- to really justify any of that with what's in scripture. And yet and yet that becomes, and, and you just sort of eloquently pulled that string, yeah. that becomes really the dogma of the church is this is how it is. That's and you it. go, but how does that work then if with you know A, B, C, D, E, F, G exhibits here in the Bible where that isn't the case? And... I mean, Prince of Persia is a great one. That's kind of what came to mind. It was like, it can't really operate that way if in the in the biblical text and in the inspired our the basis of our of our faith says things operate differently, right? It, it is, but but again, just that is a prevailing, you know, thought or a prevailing belief because as you walked us through history here. That's the conditioning, right? Is that this is how things are? And well, I like how you so, said it. You said it's a, it's it's how Satan has kind of reprogrammed our brains, and it's a deception. Yes. So let me accelerate the 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 yeah. history uh, just for the sake of time. So basically, I realized that wait a second. The, in the Bible, scriptural account of angels was a lot more like the UFOs, and the modern day UFO phenomenon. Once you take the deep dive in it. You know, John Mack, the head of psychiatry at Harvard University, wrote a book called Abductions in 1994, where he says it's all real. The heart of the UFO phenomenon is the abductions. And watch my documentary because the second half is, you know, Chuck Missler and David, Dr. David Jacobs. One, you know, is presenting the empirical evidence. The other is giving the biblical perspective. And so you'll see what happens with these abductions. Hybrids are created. And now that brought really the word, the Nephilim to light for me. The, the empirical evidence of today's, you know, UFOs brought the chariots to life and the empirical evidence of the hybrids of today brought the Nephilim to life. And now I could see what the Bible had to say about these chariots and Nephilim. And I was praying to God because Chuck was saying, look, I think that there's going to be the battle at the end of the age where the enemy is going to turn things around and he's going to make it look like an alien invasion. It's going to, he's going to cast the second coming in that light and then when the Lord is coming with his angels, he's going to essentially fool the world and saying, these are the bad guys. Right. They're coming to bring religion and all the bad stuff you have. But the good guys are already here and they're behind the world leader. And if the, if the kings of the earth, so to speak, rally with him, he will then you know, defend the world against this invading alien force. And the gentleman with whom I was studying the Bible that you know, is also in there, John Peel, he said the same idea independently. He said, I think this is where it's going. And since they both said this, that this would be the great lie, the great deception, I thought, okay, I'm going to make this kind of the very final point, you know, of where this whole documentary is going. And then I sat down and said, Lord, 
biblically, how can I prove that in the past, Satan has created national paradigms for humanity? If I'm going to say at the end of this age, there's going to be a paradigm of reality downloaded on a scale of you know the whole world, and the UFO phenomenon comes with its own propaganda that the saviors of the world have arrived. Early on, that propaganda is seeded into the world. And so where am I going to get this like idea that in the Bible, this happened in the past, and now I can say it's going to happen again? I wanted this to be rock solid. You know, if, you know people challenge me, you go, oh, yeah, really? The, the Satan's going to fool the whole world? When has ever that happened in the past? And so I prayed to God. Then a, a new sequence of events unfolded. Um, so as I was thinking about this whole thing, sorry, backtrack. I was going to, you know, to the Bible studies as gentlemen were now talking about all of these things, the chariots, etc. One day I walk up the stairs and he says to me, I know where the throne of Satan is. I said, Where's the throne of Satan? He says, It's in Pergamum. I'm like, Well, how do you know that? He says, Well, it says it right here. And he opens Revelation chapter two and it says Pergamum. So I'm doing my graduate studies at UFT. So I have access to the library there. I go to look up Pergamum, and it sends me to the Library of Archaeology, which is part of the Royal Ontario Museum, which is uh, in the campus. And I go there, and uh, I look up Pergamum, and there I find the notes of Carl Human, the archaeologist, engineer, archaeologist who had uh, dug up this altar of Zeus. And he says yeah. in his notes, he says, look, if there was anything of importance in Pergamum that Christ referred to as the throne of Satan, it must have been the altar of Zeus. Mm. So I photocopied that page where, you know, with the writing of Carl Human. I brought it back to him and I said, look, Carl Human agrees with you. And he dug up this Pergamum and he thinks it's the altar of Zeus that he's referring to. And they put it in a train. They asked the Ottoman Empire the permission to take it to Berlin where they built an entire museum to house and rebuild it. Usually they would only put something small from these finds in a museum, like a piece of a wall. But they, these people, I think they were into the occult. They asked that this entire altar be rebuilt. And they asked that a museum be built for it. And the Das Museum di Pergamum, which is now called the Museum of Berlin, was built. And the gates of Ishtar are there as well from Babylon. Wow, wow. In the wow, same wow. building. Wow. Yes. And so... And then he said to me, well, what? why would the Lord be making a connection for us between the, you know, a pagan god like Zeus, um, the leader of this pantheon in the Greek world, and the fallen angel, you know, Satan? Is he, why would God make that connection for us if the altar of Zeus and the throne of Satan are being connected? If that's what is happening here, why would God connect Zeus to Satan for us? Is there a connection between the fallen angels and the gods? And that became the new idea. It just hit me. Like these ideas were like the Holy Spirit, like and someone says something to you, and it's like the Spirit like amplifies it for your brain. And you're like, boom. And this was one of the I thought, I'm gonna look into this. So of all the ancient astronaut theorists, only one took the very deep dive into the gods, and that was Zachary Sitchin. Mm-hmm. So I sat down and I read every book he, was, he ever wrote, and I talked to him on the phone um, in Manhattan. I found his number on Google. <laughs> I love and, that. and I called him, and he said, how do you find this number? This is my wife's number. I'm like, oh, sorry. Well, actually, because I'm Google. And, and I wanted to interview him, but it didn't work out, and I'm glad it didn't work out. So 
he opened my eyes to the libraries of Mesopotamia and to the fact that the Iloni, that's what they called them, were real because the way they were spoken of in, in these tablets, there are more, like the library of Ashurbanipal, there are more tablets found to the gods than any other subject matter. There's tablets about architecture, medicine, surgery, but the gods is the number one section of the library. In fact, that's why Septuagint was created in, in because in Alexandria, Ptolemy had the writings of all the gods other than the Hebrew god, and he wanted to complete. That's what the libraries were. When we think of library, we think of, oh, you can go to the library. The, only, the closest library we have to the ancient concept of libraries is the Library of Congress. This is a place where the rulership consults things. The, in, the, the teachings of the gods were there. So if you look at the architecture, like the altar of Zeus in Pergamum was literally associated, like there was walking, you'd walk from it to the house, to the palace of the ruler and to the library, which contained the teachings of the gods. Most of the senators of Rome were priests of Jupiter. So like if you, if you go to the, to the forum, to, to, to Rome today, where the heart of government was. That's where all the temples were. Mm. The Senate and the temples, they're all in there. So basically, I was like, wow, these guys are real. So these were these were real beings and uh, these gods. And then I thought, well, what does the Bible have to say about it then? So some, this program had come out at this time called ESOR. It was new. And you could isolate any word you wanted in the Bible in I had it, someone had said, hey, get Esort. So I went and I typed in the word gods, and it spit out all the words, uh, all the passages in the Old and New Testament. I, I still actually, right now I'm not in my office because uh, downstairs was busy, and, and but I would have usually these things that I would show it to. I have all of my, you know, all the printouts I made. And I just pressed print, really in my thought, I thought it'd be like maybe a few pages about the gods. Why would the Bible have a lot of information about these guys? And started printing, went just printing and printing, and I'm like, wow, I'm surprised. And the whole thing came out, and I sat down, and I read it in one shot. And when you look at something in the Bible in one shot, so intensely, reading every single verse where the word gods appears, it does an effect on you, on you like a scale that falls off. And even though I, I realize it talks about it in the context of idols, yet there was so many passages that clearly said these were real for instance god admonished them worship you know him all ye gods or, or uh, god judged them like in the story of the exodus you know god will come and judge the gods of egypt um, yeah, you know yeah. exodus 12 12 um and uh, or he for instance called himself their god the god of gods elohim the lord of lords and it's like why would god be the leader of mythological beings Right. And so that day when I sat there, I, I read this and I just said to myself, wow, so these were real even according to the Bible. And, you know, now the passages made sense to me, such as Daniel chapter 10 mm. made sense to me now. Uh, Psalm 82. Yeah, yeah, well, no, the Psalm 82 said, uh, you know, that, that he judges among the assembly of the gods. Right. And that kind of, you know, stayed with me. And the fact that the Lord quoted it and said, that, uh, you know, your, your God's ear called Elohim and scripture was given to you, why would it be wrong for me to be called that, right? So man was called Elohim. That's that's kind of what I got out of that passage. But Daniel chapter 10 didn't have the word gods in it 
but it had this content of principalities. The other passage was the conversation between Satan and Jesus concerning dominion has been given to me over all the nations of the world, and I'll give them to whomever I will. Now that became, you know, very real to me. Okay, he really, he literally was ruling, and these, this was the manifestation of it. These beings, and so I thought, okay, then this idea came to my mind, and I think this was from the Holy Spirit. Chuck Missler used to say when he talked about the sons of God and the daughters of men, he used to do the whole study in the Bible, and then he would say, you know, there's one more passage where the sons of God are mentioned, um, but you have to read it in the Septuagint to see it. And that's Deuteronomy 32, verse 8 and 9. And that idea came to my mind because now, I mean, I knew what that passage was because I'd heard Chuck quote it so many times. But with with this knowledge, that passage now made a huge sense to me because the division, the spiritual division of reality would be announced in that passage. And all of these concepts in the Bible would now make sense, hmm. these beings that were over the nations. And so I went to the computer quickly and for the first time ever, I looked in the Septuagint and that verse was there, that the nations, when they were given their boundaries, they were divided according to the number of the sons of God. And what I had learned from the study of, let's say, Zachary Sijin, was that information was handed down, the men they were called. Information was handed down that's at the basis of civilization. The world was corrupted, not only by the seeds of the sons of God, but by the knowledge they spoke into the world. I mean, that's what Sodom and Gomorrah was about. Why? Right. Source of idol worship, the source of all kinds of bodies of knowledge that perverted reality, perverted the creation of God. The quote of Hammurabi, you know, you could see, like for instance, Hammurabi receiving it from Shams, the sun god, the scroll of Hammurabi's law. And if you look at the statue of Hammurabi, you see the code there. And that's why in the very beginning of my documentary, it says all the civilizations attribute their genesis to the gods. Mm -hmm. And it was like free, the, the, Moses goes on top of the mountain, receives the laws, and, and the Hebrew civilization is born. But that is the story of the birth of all civilizations. The closest one to us is the story of Islam. Muhammad receives a recitation, and bada boom, the Islamic civilization is born according to those precepts. And the Bedouins of Arabia conquer the Persian and Greek world and create right. the world we see today with their first written book, the main contribution of the Arab to the world is the Quran. But that was the story of the Vedic texts and the birth of the civilization of the Hindus Valley, the Avesta of the Zoroastrians, the Egyptian Book of the Dead, the Enuma Elif, you know, the most ancient yep. text of Mesopotamia. And so I was like, wow, this is the birth of civilization that came. So God seeded the world with life, and then the life was seeded with knowledge. And that's how civilization began, because when you looked at the libraries of Mesopotamia, all the bodies of knowledge that are the base of civilization were handed down. Architecture what comes from temple building. And not only did God give the codes of the building of temple to, let's say, Moses and you know Solomon, and he also so did these beings reveal codes. And I can't get into all the details of the documents that are very, very well I've researched them, and, and, and you can believe it. Um, you know, like the king of Lagash, for instance, you know, who, who receives the, the code to build a temple, and he's, it's in a dream, and, he, and then the dream, when you read it all, it's very, very, all kinds of things came to life that from these ancient writings from Mesopotamia that were real knowledge was handed down. And I was curious, I was like, wow, so this is, you know, what Chuck says about Deuteronomy 32, verse 8 and 9, this is the vision of reality, and mm -hmm. knowledge given down to these, to the world, and these were the fallen angels, 
who created their own civilizations, their own religions. And then God chose Israel and created his own, and he chose kings, they chose kings. He gave them the codes how to build temple. They gave the code to build the ziggurat. Yeah. So it's like a counterfeit world. Mm. Well, and this is like Graham Hancock's hypothesis too, right? If you if you watch his doc, right, it's these enlightened travelers show up and they teach these people civilization, right? And, I mean, yes. he's literally, it's the same thing. Graham but he's just got is, the ancient the alien. ancient alien theory, yeah, yes. right. Yes. Which yes. is interesting because, right, it's literally what you're saying. And this is funny because Nate and I did an interview early on before we knew anything about anything in this show with with uh, Scott Walter of America on Earth, and he starts on this diatribe, and he's like, yeah, he's a mason, and talking about how the aliens, are they're here already, and they're working behind the scenes. It's exactly what you said, and you go, you hear this now everywhere that you, that if you know what to listen for, you hear it, and it's ancient alien theory, and it's also being propagated that this is what's happening. They're here, they're going to step in to save us from ourselves, and they're going to save us from an impending... So Antichristus means the pseudo-messiah. Right. Yeah, and, and so I think it's fat. I think what you're saying is so fascinating because you can. It's all through history, and then here we are. And you talked about how it went from Renaissance to Netflix. Nothing changed, and it really hasn't. Yeah, it's just getting repackaged and resold and re and re given back to us and saying this is this is it. This is the narrative. And but if you go backwards and then forwards, you go and it's all the same. In Deuteronomy yeah. 32, divide the nations. They create their own, and they just mimic and counterfeit. And in the same way, the end is the same, right? What are they mimicking, counterfeiting? I think that a god is creating the architecture of a temple in which we will be royal priests, and that temple will sit at the heart of creation. And so what these guys are imitating in their divisions, they're duking out the territories they're going to have, and they're creating a counterfeit government, essentially, a counterfeit you know, celestial reality that eventually they want to export into the creation but they're duking out the boundaries with each other here mm. and that will you know amplify as their territory amplifies they're creating a counterfeit heavenly jerusalem that's their that's their ultimate goal which is which is why you know you you have a lot of progressive christians who sort of adopt this idea that oh all religions are sort of serving the same god and it's like no they're not they're counterfeiting the, the one true well, once god once you understand that the god is logical and that they were the source of revelation also, that they created these religions, mm-hmm. you know, Hinduism, and that's one of the reasons I never really wrote in, in detail all these discoveries because I was concerned, especially when it came to Islam, mm-hmm. as especially since I was going back to Iran and coming to see my dad, that I found a very powerful way of proving it all from Scripture, and I had this knowledge, and I then see I was a seeker before I became a Christian, so mm-hmm. I was very familiar with the religions of the world. Christianity was the last one I studied. So I went back and I read all the books again from the point of view that they were revealed. And I and I noticed that they all stood against the word of God. They all like, you know, had, yes. had handled, like for instance, anyways, I don't want to get into these other scriptures, but they all take something of God's word and pervert it and offer an alternative to that concept to their believers, whether it's union with God, whether it's righteousness through the law, and they create an alternative understanding of reality, of what mm. happens after death, of how you, who you should worship and how, because they have dominion over in the souls of men. So I I thought, okay, this is a really interesting. I wonder what this word is, gods. And I could see that there was like little numbers on this thing that it printed. And that was the Strong's Dictionary um, codes. 
So I went back to resource and I looked at the number and it said Elohim. And I said, oh, okay, Elohim. So then I kind of did some research into what the word Elohim meant. Uh, it was plural. It could mean gods or it could mean God. And then I, I noticed that it says, oh, there's the Lord is the God of gods. And I looked up all of those words now. They all had numbers. And the it, Lord said Yahweh. And then, you know, God El. And so now I could read. I was like, Yahweh is the El Elohim. Wait, Yahweh is the God of gods. So now the conversation with Moses made a lot of sense where God, God Moses says to, to, to God, what's your name? Now I see what he meant because there were all these beings. That yeah. would be, and it was like from among all of these, who are you? You know, the, our God. And so that I saw the Lord as the leader of these, you know, beings. I remember telling one of the guy who, who edited the movie with me, Mark, was him as Mordecai. Is Jewish, and I was telling him this is that, and he was like, well, "That sounds a lot like the Greek gods." What you're telling me, like you're saying, our God is like you know the leader. I'm like, yeah, but the difference is he's their creator. He's not among them. He's not one of them. He's, right. you know, he's outside of it all. And so suddenly, my this this concept came to life: the Elohim um, and the place of God among them. Deuteronomy 32, and I, my prayer was answered. Now I knew that the enemy had created entire bodies of knowledge that had given birth to civilization itself, and that I could now comfortably with a clear conscience say this was gonna happen again at the end of the age, mm. where once again, he would now pour an entire religious system into the human world that involved this UFO reality, which was a repackaging. So to come to the point of how was the alien thing created? So basically, it goes back to, so you've got Copernicus, Francis Bacon, Galileo, and Newton, and these guys are also Masons, you know, and they they dabble in the occult, especially Galileo and Newton, very important Masons. Now, Galileo's body was unearthed after he died and given a Masonic burial and his teeth and bones were removed, which is a Masonic ritual, and they were sold. Mm. There's a New York Times article you can read about this that's recent because it talks to the family that bought the parts of uh, Galileo. And so basically, these guys had these rituals they would go and ideas would come to their mind so they create the, a new idea no longer are we in the heavens we're in the universe oh really yes and what's the universe well whatever we see through galileo's telescope and we will now measure it scientifically documented according to descartes measuring system you know that we can see and measure the world and so suddenly we're no longer in the heavens the christian knows about the heavens where is the heavens the christian in that realm that began with the fracture that came from Gnosticism and Augustine. That's where the heavens is. No mm. longer is the heavens this thing you see at night. This is now the universe of these men, of Copernicus and Francis Bacon and Galileo. And I mean, Francis Bacon wrote the New Atlantis. And then of Newton and the telescope that sees it all, uh, whether it's the James Webb telescope, it continues. So the, the scientific age is ushered in, the materialism of David Hume, the separation of church and state, mm -hmm. and, and this whole idea that we're in the universe. And of course, then Darwin comes and populates it for us. And that's how the alien is born. No longer is it the heavens and the earth and the host of the heavens and the host of the earth, mm. but, but it is rather the universe where we evolved here and, and others evolved elsewhere and the Christian 
believes in the world of God and angels and all the characteristics of the Bible, but they don't exist really in our world. They'll exist in this other dimension, we begin to call it, because that makes it a lot more like modern. Yeah. We have this new word. It makes it so like, you know, like scientific. And yes, it's neither a scientific term nor a biblical term because we haven't ever gone to another dimension empirically. And we, we don't know about dimensions in the Bible, in my understanding. So, but we know about the heavens. So suddenly, it's all in the imagination. There is a separation created between the world of angels and the world we live in. And these guys fill the void with their concept of reality. And Darwin populates it for us. So now the fallen angels inhabit that concept, which I believe they inspired. Hmm. They replaced the heavens with the cosmos, like the scientific universe. And they populated it. They think centuries in advance. Satan quotes the scriptures to the Lord. And so he does, they realize, oh, this is going to happen. And that's why they put the Nephilim in the land. When God said to Abraham, I'm going to take you here, they're like, okay, we'll put some obstacles on the way. And that worked. They couldn't get in. They were afraid. They wandered. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Perhaps, perhaps when the Lord said, after the years of wandering, I'll call Israel back to her land. The enemy said, why don't I put some weeds all around it? The house of the crescent of the moon will fill this place and I will inspire it to all kinds of things, right? So the, the enemy goes ahead and thinks centuries advance. So yeah. the concept was created of, of the alien and, and this, I think, laid the groundwork for the coming deception. So now I had the knowledge of the gods, the sons of God, the Nephilim, the chariots, and the Bible gave me a story that put it all together. The Lord had come to the earth. They, this is how they come and go. After the flood, the Lord had divided the nations and, and, and given to the hands of these beings. And the word Elohim, uh, the rabbis say, means spiritual authority. If you look at like Colossians chapter 1, verse uh, 16, I think, that's a good description of that word, actually. So the it means spiritual authority. Because I said to the rabbis, I'm like, you know, why is it for by him all things were created in heaven? And on earth, the seen and the unseen, whether thrones or angelic powers or rulers or authorities. This is, this is what the word refers to. I said to the rabbis, why is it plural? They said, because it represents the attribute of God as the authority of all authorities. And there are many levels of authority. And he is the one that is above them all. So the plurality refers to the multitude of levels of authority. And now he's sovereign over them all. So instead of translating this as the gods of the nations, we might be more comfortable to translate them as the authorities, the spiritual authorities that were put over the nations. And gods, you know, chose Jacob. So these, this was, this was kind of the worldview. So these, these were separated. Then these guys created civilization by giving the codes to the nations. God gave the code of civilization to the Jews, and of course, He came through His Son. He then, you know, sent the Holy Spirit and brought the nations back to himself. His son went in a cloud and left. And, you know, the Jews were scattered to the four winds and the gospel went to the nations. And then the time had come where the Lord was getting the planet ready for his return. So he had called uh, Israel back to the land. And the, in the same year that Israel became a nation, 1947, 1948, is the year the UFO phenomenon began. Mm. 
Mm. These guys then, you know, saw that as a clue and boom, boom, they walked into the scene and in, and walked into this scientific universe that created for man, I think, through their, you know, the, the Masons, they do rituals, they do rituals right. and they revelation in these rituals mm. well we knew the nazis were doing the same thing right i mean yeah, they, they were i mean it's the best one right because you go how did they go from unbelievable inflation and abject poverty after world war one to being to making weapons of war no one had ever seen or could it couldn't well, even there was, there was imagine so the stuff it was crazy right and then you find out they had like they were doing rituals they had a cult they had a cult temples that they had built and they were deeply deeply oh, into that and, and you go well of course right here you yeah. go it's in berlin 100 yeah, yeah. right yeah. Yeah, yeah no but yes but it is in berlin but uh do you know about nuremberg the altar of zeus in nuremberg i know that mm -mm. oh okay so they put the altar of zeus in berlin and um hitler has a architect albert Speer, and he's looking for inspiration hitler has told him you know make make berlin look great make germany look great so he then goes to the exhibit and looks at the altar of Zeus and inspires him. And he decides that he's going to build a giant one in Nuremberg for Hitler. He builds a giant version of the altar of Zeus. Wow. And then he puts these lights all around it, which are 12 meters apart, because Hitler says to him, make the rallies when they come in, make it look like a, a Catholic mass. I want it to be a spiritual experience. Now, the Christians worship inside in the basilicas. They took the Roman community centers, the basilicas, and that's how they built the church. But the pagans worship outdoors. So these guys are gonna worship outdoor. And so he then, Albert Speer, builds a giant version of the temple of, uh, of the altar of Zeus in Nuremberg. And then he puts these army lights every 12 meters apart and lights them up and they go up like pillars of light. So it's like a light cathedral, he calls it. Hmm. It's all made of pillars of light. You can Google it. Just Google light cathedral and you see it. And there is, you know, the altar, large. At the, and Hitler then stands. And where the bull was that represented Zeus, where uh, the bishop of Pergamum was fed to the bull, you know, and lit up. And so, I forget his name. My mind is tired right now. <laughs> You're doing good. You're doing Antipas, good. You know, Antipas was placed in there and lit up the bronze bull. You guys know about this? Yeah, that, yeah. And so it was, you know, so he, where the bull was, he puts the microphone where Hitler is going to now speak from. And these guys were on drugs, like the Nazi soldiers. Oh, yeah. And, and they came into this place. It was like this, he was haunted by a demon. And they couldn't see him and he couldn't see that. You know, it wasn't like modern lights and stuff. And he says, he says in his speeches, I can't see you and you can't see me, but I can feel you and you can feel me. You know, he connects the crowd. And it is from there that he declares the laws of the Holocaust, from the Nuremberg laws, mm. from right there, in that altar. Wow. So it's as though it was as they're coming back to the land to, because the Lord says he does nothing other than what he is told through his servant, the prophets. So if the prophetic vision of the prophets of the Bible points to a moment in history where Israel Jerusalem and the Messiah connect together and that enters the, us into the Messianic kingdom, then as that starts to take shape on the stage of history, the enemy wants to break the word of God, break scripture, and prolong the age of empire. And so he, so this this thing rises. Instead of the millennial kingdom, let's have the 1,000-year right. right. You know, it's like, you know, and let's have a new chosen people. 
mm-hmm. and let's get rid of the old ones. And let's. And they're also them. building hybrids. They're also creating this this master race, right? Yeah, Which is, as, we this know, master yeah. race. And this technology, like you're saying, is revealed to them that really propels us into the space age. You know, it all has to do with airplanes and rockets, mm-hmm. right? So I think the enemy is preparing us for Armageddon. Because when you look at the book of Enoch, if the Lord says these are the days of Noah, the days of Noah were the days of sons of God and their the daughters of men and everything, but they were also the days of massive knowledge that was handed down. We see in the book of Enoch the seven mm-hmm. bodies of knowledge, but there was knowledge handed down. So we are the sons of God. We can we can take big knowledge, right? And these guys can communicate things to us. So I think that the industrial age. You know, where we have this like this farming life for like ever from the time of Adam till the Industrial Revolution, we are basically living as farmers and cattle herders. And then suddenly something happens and we go click click. And apparently we're, you know, according to Klaus Schwab, we're entering into the fourth stage of the Industrial Revolution, the digital age. And he says, first we'll have it as stuff we wear and then we're gonna put it in our bodies. So mm. that's what he writes in his book. Yeah, um, transhumanism. So, transhumanism. And he, he calls it, you know, the uh, the fourth stage of the Industrial Revolution. So right now, we may be given like AI and all that stuff and rockets. Maybe this is getting us ready for the War of Angels because crazy as it may sound, the prophecies of the Bible says Psalm 2, the book of Joel 3, Zechariah 14, the book of Revelation, say the world's going to go war against the second coming of the Lord. And that's yeah. kind of insane. Like, not believing in God is one thing, rejecting God, rebelling in God, et cetera, what? Well, sure. But going to war against God, that sounds crazy unless your perspective has been changed of who God is. He's not, he's an alien. This is an alien invasion. These guys, you know, you guys are talking about the modern day phenomena uh, and what's happening today. These guys have to come out of the woodworks and introduce themselves to the larger population. Right. And they are. Keep completely all over the place are believing that the government is essentially quietly saying they really are here. You know, I'm getting phone calls from friends and family who've always just looked at my research from a distance. Like I'm crazy. <laughs> okay, so the government is confirming that they're here. So what is, what, what's going on? Now tell us. This is the impression that people are getting. So this is perhaps the beginning of, of kind of massaging themselves into the imagination of people and preparing to cast the coming of the Lord as, as, as you know, uh, an angelic, uh, um, as an alien reality. And in that, uh, with that ruse, with that lie, leading the world to war and equipping us. When I have this footage in the documentary from Columbia Shuttle, Columbia had these uh, cameras all around it just to randomly film space. And it filmed this thing and, and it was, at the time became public, was scrutinized to death by the UFO community. And everyone agreed that this is real footage. And so you'll see there is this this thing and there's two of them and one of them just shoots at the other. This beam comes out of it and the other one just takes off and the beam misses it. So could it be that UFO crashes are caused by oh, the War of Angels? I speculated. And, yeah. you know, these ideas came to me like about the gods, about the UFOs, about the hybrids in the 1990s. And the documentary was filmed starting in 2001 and was released in 2006. You're ahead of the curve, Ali. You were, yeah. you were 
way ahead. It's catching up to you now, right? I mean, yeah, what, yeah. I, what I find fascinating is that everything is a circle or every, nothing's new, right? Because what you're talking about is Babel again. We sure. all can speak a language. Because of technology now, we can all speak to each other and we can all speak a common language digitally. Yes. And, and at the same time, it was Nimrod going to kinetic war with God, with the Tower of Babel, right? And He's the first and, archetype of the Antichrist. The Antichrist, right? And, and I, I just, I think you, what you're talking about is, is, is so important that people hear, and we've talked about it on the show before, but this makes a ton of sense when we talked about the condition. You talked about the very beginning condition from the 40s on with the UFO sort of phenomena and how we're, Hollywood is supposed to interpret it and how we're supposed to be conditioned for this, right? Yes. And what you said, I think, is... Oh. Yeah. Well, I think it's, what's fascinating you said is that, that, that the enemy in darkness is thinking centuries ahead, right? So yes. it's playing a long game. So they're, they're getting everyone ready for this. And, and I think that, that, as Nate said earlier, and, and we've said on the show before, that if Christians don't have their eyes open, they're not going to be able to you know to quantify or contextualize um a potential disclosure real disclosure and hold on to their faith and i think that is could be part of the great delusion it really is that that it, people's brains are going to get broken if we saw people's brains get broken in 2020 by what happened and they're still and they're still that way and that that was small compared to what would happen if if we get this this and I, I use this in quotes. This mass disclosure, alien disclosure, uh, that that they're here and the, and, and and how? But you listen. You grew up in the Islamic world, right? How in the world? And I said this before on, on the show, and I beat this to death sometimes. How in the world do you, do you get Chechens and Russians and Shia Shia and um, and Sunni mm-hmm. Muslims to all be on the same team and Jews and everyone else be on the same team against right. a common enemy? You, you can't. Reagan said it in the 80s the only way you can unite the world said it in the UN said it out loud yes is perhaps to have something like an alien invasion I know I put that in the documentary yeah. just to yeah. show the value of Armageddon the, the, the um, in Daniel 7 and 8 the little horn he does talk about against the inhabitants of heaven and makes the stars you know fall down to the earth which is an idiom for angels so this final leader is going to why would he speak about God and then happens of heaven publicly, if that's what it's if it's that's what it intends he intends to do if that's what it means that he's going to do it publicly, unless the world has been uh, accustomed to the world leader talking about the other in this mm. you know alien clothing and the Muslim mm. world, you know I looked into how would they see, how do they see the UFO phenomena like devout Muslims. How do they see the UFO phenomenon? And and I realized that they see it as angels, but since their religion um, has, they've been deceived and their religion, you know, reverses everything where the good and the bad are reversed, um, mm. they will, they might see the fallen angels as the good angels. You know, right. they might fall for the guy. That's funny because Christians see it all as demons. So Right. So that's because they didn't understand the word Elohim. Yeah. That's what the Lord gave me. And yeah. once I realized in the Bible, it says Rechev Elohim, and Elohim applies to the angels good and evil. It even applies to God and us. Then I realized that these chariots can be associated with the whole host of the spiritual world. Yeah, right. yeah. That's how I was able to. The blurry solve. verse. Yes, that's, that's how all <laughs> that. So, so, just to finish this part of the story, so yeah. the documentary was released in 2006. And then a store opened up near where I both worked and lived and it sold magazines. And I walked in there 
And I was looking at the magazines, and then there was one that said biblical archaeology, and that's the one I usually show you, but I'm not in my office. So I, I was like, biblical archaeology, that's my right my alley. So I picked it up, and it said, and I recognized the image, the picture, before I read the words, I recognized it was a piece of the altar of Zeus. And then it said, you know, the throne of Satan, right on the cover of biblical archaeology, 2006, I don't remember what month. So I was like, I bought it and I ran back home and I sat down and I read it. And it was an interview with professor of theology from Yale Seminary, Adela Collins. And it, she said, okay, this is in Pergamum. This is what the Lord must have been talking about. And then she gets into the word God and Elohim. And she then says, look, the Septuagint, you know, has this other version that the Masoretic text in Deuteronomy 13, verse 8 and 9, and this agrees with the Dead Sea Scrolls, which also have this, and this is the oldest Hebrew copy, and the church fathers understood these beings, the sons of God, who were behind the nations, to be what we would call fallen angels. Mm-hmm. So imagine here I am in 2006, no one in the Christian world is saying these things. I'm suddenly putting in a documentary that's going viral, and I am literally afraid before God, uh, that I'm not, that I'm making sense. I want to make sure I'm not misleading yeah. people, right? Yeah. 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 And so when I get this magazine that has the throne of Satan and the altar of Zeus and the gods, and I learned from Adela Collins that the Dead Sea Scrolls had it, because until here I only knew the Septuagint had it. Now that was a huge confirmation for me. It was comforting to me. I was mm-hmm. like, yes, I'm on the right track. Then in 2013, I went to Israel for the first time, and they took us to Caesarea, yeah. where they showed us you know, the rock upon which the Lord stood. And he said, upon this rock, I'll build my church in the gates of Hades. And, and so it was a temple, an altar to the various gods. That was their place with the Romans. The same way that Caesarea Marinera was like their administrative center and the garrison in Las Vegas. They created another city for worship, and that was Caesarea Philippi. And they had all these pagan temples. And then at the bottom of it, there was a cave. It was still there, big hole, and there was water in it. And they would sacrifice your animal, you know, tie it up and throw it in there. And if it went down, it meant the gods would answer your prayers. If it didn't, it was a no. And that was called the Gates of Hades, that cave, that water place where you threw the animals. And so he stood there and he's referring to these beings that that there's this, he's announcing a change in the spiritual order Mm -hmm. that this will be diminished, the realm of these beings, and he will rise and his church with him. And the gates of Hades representing this, this structure, this, this kingdom of the enemy, uh, these pagan temples. You know, now that I saw the gods is real, the Bible said there, so this will not overcome it. I was like, ah, oh, another confirmation, another <laughs> confirmation. Yeah, it's not Peter. It's not talking about Peter. It's, it's talking about, about this Peter. actual rock. Yeah. Yes. Yes. And yes. then... And then two years later, um, uh, this American theologian, Michael Heiser, he wrote a book called The Unseen Realm. Oh, yeah. And I read that book, and and tears were coming uncontrollably down my eyes because I had spent over 10 years in kind of a fetus position being kicked by pastors and graduates of the seminaries telling me that I'm out to lunch and I should stop saying these things. I mean... Pastors would, would literally, like if I let a Bible study in church, they would, and somehow it went in that direction and someone revealed it to them. They would call me in their office like a child 
in the principal's office and chastise me and tell me to be quiet about this, that I'm making, I'm making sense. And of course, it wasn't so easy to say, well, there's a verse that doesn't exist in any of the Bibles that you have that is actually, right. you know, word to understand this. That's kind of a conversation killer, right? It's a non-starter. Right, right. Show it in many other ways. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I would never, I never wrote a book because I was like afraid of, of the Muslim reaction. If I would say now following this, afterwards, you know, the enemy reinvented in the guise of monotheism and brought a new revelation, the queen of heaven entered the body of Messiah and she continues to be active, that yep. these beings continued into the post-Holy Spirit age. And now they're coming out as, as UFOs. I could see now a line from Nimrod all the way to us, from before the flood to us. So that book, you know, I was crying because I thought, finally, a guy who's got the right pedigree, you know, he's like, he's a PhD and he knows Hebrew. Yeah. He's like, a, I, now I'd understood, like coming from Iran and coming from Asia, I think I had a spiritual way of thinking about religion where it was like, I have a relationship with the Lord and he leads me into discoveries and he anoints me with this Holy Spirit and he leads me into mysteries. And and that's how, I didn't even know that like a pastor went to school to like become a pastor. I thought just like you were a really advanced Christian and so you right. were recognized by people. <laughs> yeah. You just got your black belt, right? You just got yeah, your yeah. black belt. Yeah, yeah. Exactly, right? Yeah. It was a guy back. And, but what happened was I realized that the Western church was very intellectual, very Hellenized, very academic, and that degrees and these things meant a lot as how, you know, you could raise the dead, but it's like, well, did, did you have, you have a degree from a seminary? No. Okay. Well then, you know, you're not, you don't know what you're talking about. So or something, it was, it was a very academic place. And I thought mm-hmm. this, he's got all the right credentials. We should all just rally behind him. And he will be like like this ship, you know, like the icebreaker, yeah. you know, and like like Stalin said that Hitler was his icebreaker, you know, like he you know he conquered Europe for him and he just conquered you know yeah. Nazis, and so it was like he'll go forward and we'll all follow him into the mainstream uh, of the church as he will ha- he has the right lingo and pedigree to explain these things, and and so that was a wonderful experience. That was the final confirmation. Now mm. I need okay. This really was a revelation from the Lord. Yeah. And that gave me the confidence to really, really start, you know, talking about it again uh, with confidence. Of course, I've made many discoveries since. Well, we we made the we made the fatal mistake of not treating this like the Lord of the Rings and trying to do the whole movie in one episode. <laughs> we should have split this up. This is just the Fellowship of the Ring. I have a feeling there's a, a Return of the King episode and a few more in here. Um, but... Sure. <laughs> I, I love it. I love it. Deep dive into it now. Yeah, we would, I would, we would, lo- we would we love, love to do that. a deep dive into yeah. each you know, topic. And, and just to that, to that note, like you know, uh, Dr. Michael Heiser became a good friend of ours. We had him on the show twice, and he actually became a personal friend. And so, in the same way, we're grateful, like for for him, kind of being like you. You put it really beautifully. Like he had, he had the right, he had the right credentials to really push this, push the returning to the scriptures and what the scriptures actually say and, and, and reading it, you know, as an ancient Hebrew, not as a, as a 21st century, century academic pair, you know, Westerner with that paradigm, Protestant right? And, European Christian. 
from very great distance. Yeah, and yeah. listen to your story is is fascinating because I mean you were so far ahead of the curve, mm-hmm. Ali. It, it is uh, inspiring. I think we're, we're grateful for your work. And, and looking back, I mean it's got to be wild for you to look back and, and say you know look at we put this out in in '06 and and everything now for the last what are we at 17 years now or 17 years later you're looking at the same holy like this is we were. You're right. I mean, it's, it's got to be good confirmation. And, and, I, and I know that I know that you're working on a few new things now. But, you know, as we kind of as we kind of wrap this up here, you have a new documentary you're working on. It's not out yet. Right. It, but it's really about what we were just talking about. It's about the Antichrist. Right. Yes, that's right. Um, the, I thought, you know, the seed of the serpent that was like uh, in Genesis and then now among the hybrids, look at Daniel chapter two. It says they'll mingle their seed with the seed of man. Mm-hmm. And how that comes the Ten Kings and the modern day hybrid phenomenon, I thought is a fulfillment of that prophecy where Chuck gave me that idea. So I was going with this, it's called the dispensationalist futuristic eschatology, which means that you believe that all of the prophecies of the end times are fulfilled in the period of history where Israel becomes a nation again. But then the thought came to me, what if there has been this seed of the serpent throughout the ages, like the parable of the wheat and tares? Mm-hmm. Could I now go back to the ancient, you know, um, birthplaces of the Nephilim kings of the past, and trace them into the modern day uh, bloodlines and discover. And so that was the, that was the idea of that documentary. So, well, so we can we, can we do an episode on that? Can we, because yeah, that is, uh, ser- I'm being serious. I would we would love that. I mean, that sounds yeah right. Yeah, absolutely amazing. Yeah. Okay, we need to do that. Yeah. Right now, what I'm working on is where the, the Lord has led me is a fiction. I'm writing a fiction, and I'm intending this fiction to the masses of the people that are are unchurched or go to churches that are more traditional and they never talk about these things. Mm-hmm. Because now that I came, suddenly you know, the Lord called me to talk about these things, there are all these other gentlemen and ladies who've been talking about this stuff to the mm-hmm. church. There are groups of pockets of, you know, whether it's Elia Marzulli or Dr. Heiser or um, you know, Derek Gilbert. And so yeah. my calling has always been, I see with hindsight, to to kind of go for the lost sheep and the masses of people that are outside because I think I came from that place and I have the skills to communicate with them. I understand how to formulate my words yeah. in a way that resonates with them. So I'm writing a fiction that tells the story of the discoveries of the documentary. And then after that, I'm writing a book, God willing, about the three princes. This is a revelation, a new revelation that the Lord has given me that is uh, not yet spoken of. Maybe other people will get it too. But this is, I found the trunk. You know, the root was Deuteronomy 32, verse 8 and 9. Mm-hmm. That's the root verse. But now I have found the trunk verse. From the trunk, the branches emerge into the architecture of scripture. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to be writing about the three princes the prince of Persia, the prince of Greece, and the prince of Israel. Okay, that's the third episode we need to do. So this is uh, yeah, like I said, Lord of the Rings, and then we're gonna you, go back to some. Ali, this has been unbelievable. I uh, yeah, appreciate. I, so let our listeners know because this this will uh, hopefully. I mean, if you if it, as long as you do, yeah, as long as you still like us, this hopefully can be a part part one. Yeah, okay, it's gonna be yeah, part one of our. Uh, you, you, everyone has to go. So basically, please go to my website doublethinkagainproductions.com. Watch the documentary; it's there. You can watch it. 74 minutes leave a donation at the bottom of the page it's free sign up for the newsletter stay informed beyond that if you double click to go to patreon if you double click on the documentary it'll take you to my youtube page and there are videos there that you can watch you can sign up for the youtube page you go to patreon i'm doing an audio series in the book of revelation 
And you can support me on Patreon. You can support my ministry for a one-time donation or a regular thing. And I'm also doing a trip to Israel. And I know everyone's like, what are you talking about? I don't want to hear about Israel right now. Yes, you don't want to, but you will next year. So the, okay. the dates are obviously going to change because we're not going to go for December. Uh, but if you want to come to Israel with us, let me know. Walking the setting of the Word of God it is so moving to be by the Sea of Galilee and worship the Lord. You, mm. you have no idea how moving and powerful it is mm. to be in that place. Yeah. Anyhow, we thank you that. so we, much, we guys. Hey, we're, we're, we're serious. I mean, if, as long as you don't, you, as long as you think we're okay, dudes, like we'd love to do this again. I think yeah, there's. I'll come back as many times as you want. It's, well, you're the man. I'm this has been awesome. This has yeah. been awesome, man. Yeah. If, we, not, if, if it wasn't for Heiser, we wouldn't be a podcast. So it's kind of yeah. cool to hear you hear tell your side of the story. Yes, yes, yes. And he was a great teacher, a very knowledgeable man. And, and then he and he came up with the whole idea of the council of the Elohim, going back to yeah. some. And I hadn't seen that. I wasn't focused on other than, wow, these guys are real. They're everywhere. Yeah. Um, well, so he's, a big so fantasy fo- he's a big fantasy football guy, too, so we stuck about that. And it so. means a lot to us that you, you, you cared enough to stick around for a couple hours and talk to us dummies. Cause, uh, I agree. Yeah. I, I feel like yeah. you, you've, you've talked to a lot of people and you've done a lot of research and... So we appreciate you spending some time you guys with are us. Easy to talk to. Yeah, it's been three years of this, so we kind of we're, we're there. We understand what you're saying, but it's taken us a long time to get there. And See, yeah. I think our it listeners is. will like this one a lot. So yeah. Yeah. thanks so much, yeah. Ali. Thank, Thank you for your time. Much. Thanks so much. We'll do this again. I'll we'll email you. We'll get you back on the calendar. It might be. Yeah, I'll Thank bother you. you. I promise <laughs> I will. All right. Thank you. Thanks, Ali. Right. Appreciate it, brother. Have a good night. Yeah. Good night.